Hello and welcome to episode 290 of The Crate and Crowbar. It is the 2nd of August, 2019. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Francis. Hello. And who's this? It's Tom Senior. I'm back, everyone. Where's he been? I've been dead on the other side for months. Oh, no. <laughs> it was much cooler there than the summer we've had in this uh, terrible burning what, country. But in hell where you were. <laughs> I don't know what it is you just claimed. No, the, the cold, you know, the cold, the cool... The coolness of the grave. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're at Marsh's old place. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, congratulations on coming back to life. I'm still dead. I'm a ghost. Oh, oh, oh I see. A cool ghost. Oh, that's, that's taken. Podcast. We can't, we can't. Well, that's <laughs> a different podcast. <laughs> um, I'm overflowing with hot takes is the main thing. Okay, yeah. Or cold takes. Um, I'm actually, yeah, it's quite hot in this room as well. So no, no ghost could be cool in here. That's very S- true. Sweaty takes. That's the... <laughs> That's the only thing we can offer. Yeah, I've missed doing the pod. It's been, it's been sad. Uh, there's been too many things happening and like moving house and, in the grave. and things. Oh, oh, yeah. And also the grave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Battling demons, etc. But yeah, it's good to be back. Did you just, um, did you just mutter bat- battling demons, etc. as something that you would be doing in the grave? <laughs> yeah. You were playing a lot of Devil May Cry when you were last on the pod. So. I think it's just a whole Diablo thing as well. I'm still playing Diablo. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have you back. Yeah, thank you. Why don't, why don't you let us know what you have been playing? Well, I've been playing a bunch of, games that seem to have come out like in the last sort of year uh that are all harking back to the very kind of early retro kind of fps, FPS shooters you duke newcombs that kind of stuff do mm. quake um and i've basically just spent 80 pounds <laughs> buying all of them up on steam uh just just because i wanted to play them like one by one uh so the one i played the most is called amid evil <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and by the way, that's in all caps. And most of the games like this are in all caps on Steam. <laughs> yep. So, mm. uh, it's just part of the brand, really. Uh, this is kind of a Hexen-like thing where it's like set in a fancy world. Uh, but the weapons are really, really fun, uh, as they were in Hexen as well. Uh, stuff like, you, <laughs> so it looks like a twig and then you pick it up and it's actually a kind of twiggy claw that is holding a kind of small planet <laughs> and then when you shoot it it homes in and it's basically like a grenade launcher but <laughs> it is a very the strangest weirdest grenade launcher you've ever used in a game um and there's like you know you've got a staff with homing shots that is good for taking down flyers but uh once you've got your full kind of i don't know mulch juice whatever the bar that is you know whatever a medieval decides to call your kind of manor pool um you can activate it and overcharge whatever weapon you're using uh so that turns it's like a, a a submachine gun basically with homing bullets <laughs> that just takes stuff out um uh there's a sword that hits multiple things and ricochets off surfaces which activate the kind of mega mode for it wait do you throw the sword uh you slash the sword and a kind of like uh phantasmal blade uh, uh, spins out and it hits multiple enemies. Ah, uh, one of them. Uh, yeah, the one of them. Phantasmal blade. <laughs> uh, the old phantasmal blade. It's just um, it's a. I've had so much fun with these games because they are they kind of rediscovered a bunch of things that I think modern shooters and modern kind of game design has forgotten in a kind of attempt to make you always feel embodied in a character, um, like looking down, seeing mm. your body, or just a sense of weight to your movement, or a sense of kind of um, realistic hand animations and reload animations that's very much like derry girl has has been the standard for the last sort of 15 years probably in fps design so it's absolutely refreshing to go back and play these games where you're just a fucking ghost with a gun like you're just (laughs) you're a cool ghost you're a cool ghost with a gun and the gun doesn't have to be a gun it it could be just the wildest thing is to come out of the developer's imagination Uh, and the sense of freedom of just just gliding through these levels of that super speed and instant responsiveness because it doesn't even pretend you have a body you know what i mean like it's, it's just just, you are just the, the flying vengeance gun monster <laughs> that is you know, designed to clear out these levels. Uh, another one I've been playing is Dusk, 
and that's that one's entirely 3D. So medieval is like uh, your weapons are 2D sprites. Oh, I just got the pun. Yeah, is it a pun? I, I, a medieval, as in I medieval. I just heard it. I, oh, oh, oh. when you said it then, I was like, "Hang on, you just described the setting." Oh, oh. no! <laughs> oh shit! It's a pun. Oh no! I don't. I did not realise. <laughs> <laughs> Making discoveries on this podcast. That's good. Uh, it's got 2D. So it's 2D sprites. They're like mm. really kind of. They're kind of very, very lovingly animated. As in, it's the bare minimum number of frames for the actual mm. animation, but it really sells what the weapon's supposed to do. Uh, and that's true of, um, like another one is Ion Fury, uh, is another one of these games, which is also in, is in early access at the moment. That's the one where renamed. Iron Maiden su- sued them, right? Yeah, in a super cool rock and roll move, they decided to <laughs> sue Ion Maiden and change the other way around, right? Uh, who sued who? <laughs> The band Iron, Iron Maiden yes. sued the game Ion Maiden. I see. And now Iron Maiden is Ion Fury. Yeah. Oh, I get you. Right, yeah. But when I, whenever I boot up my like kind of early access version of it, it, um, it says Iron Fury in Steam, but when you go in the game, it still says Iron Maiden, <laughs> all, all the kind of splash art and stuff. Um, yeah, God, what a dick move. That sucks. Come on, Iron Maiden. Yeah, who, what, whose business is, are they going to lose? Exactly. There? <laughs> how, yeah. is it, how is it going to damage their trademark? It's, it's the most heavy metal game ever as well. Like, it's, it's, right it's also it. a tribute to the torture device as much as anything else right like they weren't sued by some like 15th century <laughs> like absolutely dungeon yeah. operator yeah come on it's, it's, dads it's very disappointing it's very disappointing uh and uh iron maiden is uh a game where again the i'm kind of fascinated by the interaction between 2d sprites and 3d environments in these mm. games particularly mm. um and especially modern attempts to kind of recreate that with a requisite amount of jankiness but also a kind of retro spirit that's really fun so there's like a revolver that you have in iron maiden at the start and you can hold down the right mouse button and kind of tag enemies and then do a kind of wild west fanning the revolver as it just instantly kills everyone which is actually quite a modern like you don't mm, that wasn't really yeah. a type of weapon you get back then uh it's actually you know it's like the smart gun from Titanfall. exactly right yes yeah, so it's like oh you've done the smart gun but also with this cool 2d uh in a 3d world aesthetic and you know mm. uh, i love that cl- sort of anachronistic clash of ideas in in these retro shooters that are definitely like then that makes them not purely just nostalgia you know it's not mm. purely about just doing the same thing again it's actually taking ideas from modern shooters and then put them back into this kind of cool aesthetic that and with a freedom of movement and a freedom of speed of movement and a kind of zany approach to level design because levels don't have to make sense in the way that you know a modern military shooter would have to make physical sense and uh, dusk in particular is brilliant for this and dusk is a bit more like quake in that everything is 3d so everything is like polygonal is everything also brown um a lot of it is brown yeah <laughs> okay. um but it, it's kind of uh it's genre hopping as well so mm. there is like two or three different campaigns and one's like a horror hexen type thing another one is like um you know you're in a, a kind of sort of weird hillbilly horror that type of <laughs> that whole genre um and another one is, is somewhere else that i've forgotten but it, it, all the guns you, again no hands you just reload by spinning them and then you, you, you're just a floating weapon and <laughs> it's, it's really empowering and really really fun uh, and all the people who are creating these games are just obviously really deeply understand what makes doom doom 2 today still really really fun to play do any of these games have regenerating health um good question no actually picking up chicken dinners no um yeah it's chicken dinners all the way yeah (laughs) or just like random crystals or random little blobs and Mm. um so in uh, a medieval you've got um different types of mana for different types of weapon and they're color coded so you've got like blue and green and something else and you know that whenever you pick up like a green ammo you know there's there's three green weapons that will be recharged by that uh so 
again, that's like, again, playing with the old formulas is not just the straight, ammo isn't just straightforwardly ammo. It's not like chicken dinners where you just run over and get health or run over something that looks like a clip and get ammo. There's a little bit of game to it. There's a little bit more kind of, it's more mm. mechanically interesting to it than just the old fashioned way of doing it. The most, like looking at Doom today, one of the most retro things about it that, that stands out to a modern eye is the HUD where you, like the whole bottom panel, <laughs> right. it has, it lists uh, how much ammo you have of all eight types and the maximum capacity. So there's like 16 numbers there of like three digits each just on screen at all times. Because you might need to know. <laughs> exactly. You might need to really be able to How many do I have? <laughs> I wonder if um, that was uh, almost like a technical thing where this uh, old RTS used to do this. The reason why old RTS used to have massive, massive UIs is because, oh, you only have to render a smaller yeah. screen and have a 2D thing and taking up the and rest could, of it. And that, that was like the graphics options. You couldn't change resolution. You could just put a border around the screen and make <laughs> yeah. the screen smaller and Smaller. Yeah, it was yeah. amazing. Um, which is why it's hilarious that that persisted for so long when games could technically show an entire full screen RTS battle, I guess. Yeah. But they still kept the giant because <laughs> audience expected it. It's kind of interesting. I think that's true of shooters as well. Uh, I've really had a, I've had a great time going through these games. Uh, like Blood has been re released as well. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, so I've mentioned Medieval, Dusk, Iron Maiden, and Blood. Those are the f- that's the four, but I'm sure there are more as well. There are more coming out. It's, it's just, a, a lovely thing to see new you know new developers going back to that era yeah i can't remember if i said this before but i was watching someone play the new blood um and they're playing level one and i think there are like 12 secrets on level one and you know like the first level of doom it's just like a corner you just walk yeah. forwards you go left and you complete the level but there are just there's so many secrets just everything you can get on top of this thing and there's a secret door in here and, yeah, yeah. and like half of them i had never seen and i'd played that game through like eight times <laughs> Yeah, that spirit is intact as well. There's loads of secrets in all of these games. They just, um, Dusk in particular, I want to give a shot. I think Dusk is my favorite one because the levels are just really funny. Like they're <laughs> actual, they're, they're kind of jokes a lot of the time that they'll trick you in the little traps that are just very hilarious. Like you're going to, uh, you're going to like a, a ruined farmhouse in the hillbilly horror you know one and then uh, a floor collapse and a giant fan will propel you up three stories into like, an ambush where like loads of people with pitchforks will charge you uh, and those moments are just of surprise and then you go down underground uh, a couple of levels and then suddenly a giant alligator is attacking you and there's just a boss fight with a giant alligator for no reason and it's just it's very funny it's really like well-observed humor uh just really playing with the, the, the fps kind of expectations i kind of miss that like um setting playfulness mm. like what happens when you don't have law yeah. you just have a bag of things people think are cool which <laughs> is very much the quake thing right yeah. right like, right yeah we just we're we, we making a fantasy game are we making a sci-fi game we're we making a lovecraftian game yes yeah <laughs> like that's, apparently that's how it happened with quake like they were just people different people on the team wanted to set it in different in different time periods so they just said yep right you do your chapter <laughs> you do your chapter and like fuck cohesiveness yeah just right. be fucking portals we just put portals and then you're just going through a portal to that place well like serious sandwich is a good example of this which is like it's it's ancient egypt but ooh, i don't know maybe <laughs> like um i quite like that in a way because i think it sort of almost highlights how unnecessary a lot of world building is in certain games so I'd say yeah. the video game world building is always unnecessary but it's not always you know the be all and end all and actually i was thinking about this lately in a completely different context because i think it's you know you can you can be cynical about it but the the journey away from anywhere near its original concept or its original fiction that fortnite has been on mm. i think what made me think about this was watching the the trailer i don't play fortnite but i watched the trailer for the new season and it's like you know you have mechs that multiple people can pl- play and there are you know anti-grav zones and you know the map is a mixture of fairgrounds of different kinds basically bolted together you know there's no there is no cohesion to it there is 
a sort of a story in the sense that the community goes and solves these ARGs and things, mm. but it really is just a massive grab bag of things people think are cool. Mm. And a million miles from, oh, this is a zombie survival get co-op game, right? Where it would have started life. And presumably there is someone at Epic who was, whose job it was to sit down once upon a di- time and write the world Bible for <laughs> Fortnite save the world as it was, right? Like this is why there are zombies. This is, <clears throat> What's going on? That just doesn't matter now, right? Like it's mm. the biggest thing in the world and it, any semblance of cohesion is utterly gone. It's completely embraced people, whatever skins they want, you know, all the rest of it. Mm. I think maybe, and yet people obviously really invest in that. So I think maybe, maybe cohesive world building is a little bit overvalued when it comes to what people want from certain types of games. Yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, imagine if they put out rather than doing this annual little thing, imagine if they put out the new Call of Duty and they were, and you asked them like, which one is it this time? Is it modern? Is it World War Two? Is it a abortive attempt at future again? And there's like all of them. Like we've just done all of them. Like in multiplayer, it's all of them. You can be a World War Two man with a Thompson and fight a cyborg. And I'd actually that sounds good. That's I'd actually play that. Time <laughs> like, splitters. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Time splitters basically. Yeah, so you said Dusk was your favourite out of them. Yeah, I think so. Um, just because I, I love the feel of the guns and I get the sense of humour, particularly. Um, Have you played Strafe? Um, That's the other one I've heard of. Good question. I feel like I have actually, but I don't re- <laughs> mm. remember much about it. That one's a bit older, I think. That was kind of the first, one of the first is that like a sci-fi revival one? ones. Yes, it is. It is sci-fi. Shooting lots of robots in... Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm certain I played it, yeah. That was just after Devil Daggers, which for me was oh, the yeah. beginning of yeah. this... God, Devil Daggers is good. <laughs> Actually, on the Devil Daggers thing, because Devil Daggers has incredible sound, which of them has the best sound? Because sound's really, really important. Oh, um, one thing I'd say, actually, a medieval has a very weak sound. Oh. And uh, not just because of, not just the soundtrack, you want like a really yeah. hardcore good soundtrack. Uh, it doesn't really have that, but also the, the weapons are all very whooshy, because they're all magical. And <laughs> yeah. it, 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 there are ways to, to do this, but they've not quite hit it. And you get the same kind of monster grunts every time they die. And they just sound sort of faintly disappointed. <laughs> oh, 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 like that. And, you know, every time you kill something, it's just a, uh, that noise. And you don't feel powerful when that happens. It's just like, oh, the monster's gone to sleep. <laughs> My wooshy sword made it go to sleep. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, whereas a medieval's nice because it's probably guns, no, a really nice shotgun, um, good soundtrack. Properly guns is a really properly good gun. It's properly guns. That's a good tagline for these games. <laughs> That's a very Alan Partridge way of reviewing <laughs> first-person shooter. Um, uh, yeah, um, Dusk is good. Iron Maiden is good as well. That they've put loads of effort into the soundtrack. Um, mm. But yeah, yeah, medieval, mm, not quite, not mm. quite there. Mm. You're right. It's important. It is. What you've been playing, Tom? Uh, I'm playing two things, and I'll talk about the newer one mm-hmm. uh, first, which is Nowhere Profit, uh, which is a deck-building roguelike that I is usually compared to Slay the Spire. I actually think it's more like Hearthstone plus roguelike um, in that I mean, you're, you're crossing like a land. It's a post-apocalyptic thing. Um, and the sort of navigation screen looks like an FTL where you're sort of choosing what node to go to next. And there's very limited choice and um, it'll be a fight or a reward or a choice or something. Uh, but then when you're in a fight, you kind of like Hearthstone and Magic, you are sort of have this pool of hit points you're sort of on the battlefield but not like a unit that you can move around um and you deploy units to the battlefield 
and the enemy has theirs and when you attack with a unit you choose whether to attack one of their units or them themselves mm-hmm. like their their hit point pool um and i've so i've haven't got sounds a bit like duelist to, do you oh, play yeah. duelist no mm. okay um i'd be interested you played hearthstone a fair bit, yeah. right do you play it tom yeah in the first year and then sort of i really before. want to know what what a heart someone who likes hearthstone a lot thinks of this because i have struggled with it a little bit and it's Partly because I've never really clicked with that format of game where there's minions to attack and there's just the actual enemy themselves to attack. And uh, it always kind of seems better to just attack the actual hit points pool of the enemy. Because if you attack the enemy minions, the way this works, and I think this is true of Hearthstone and Magic as well, is if I have like a, a minion that has three health and three attack, and you have a minion that has three health and three attack, and I attack yours with mine, they'll just kill each other, because mm-hmm. they're both three damage to each other, they both have three health, so, like, both of them get to attack. There is no, like, attacker's advantage. And so, I shouldn't. <laughs> I should just attack you instead. Because if I attack you, you have three less health, I don't lose anything. That's, like, a big net win for me, whereas if I attack your minion, it's just net neutral. Mm-hmm. And if, on your turn, either you attack me, in which case that's a, you know, if that's the best strategy, then that's the, um, that proves the point. Or if you attack my minion, just what happens on your turn is what would have happened on my turn, but I didn't have to spend a turn doing it. So I think in Hearthstone, it, it, um, I mean, I, I felt that way in the, like the tutorial of Hearthstone, but I never got into the meat of the game. So I, I can't vouch for like what it's like when you get into actual strategy and actual challenge. But in this, the amount of health the enemy has varies a lot depending on, you know, I'm playing on the easiest difficulty. Um, and in the early game, they'll have like, seven hit points and like a typical unit can do like three damage Hmm. so it's like basically on turn two i just get to win (laughs) like i just by that point i have two things down and i probably have some kind of power that does like one damage so unless they put down a taunt unit which is the thing where uh, if there's a taunt unit on the board then you have to attack that instead of anything else Mm -hmm. um if they don't do that then i just get to kill them and some of the it's not that it's too easy overall like my first game, I just got absolutely destroyed in the second fight. Like the tutorial fight, uh, I suppose it wasn't a tutorial fight. Just the first fight was very easy. I didn't lose a single. None of my guys got injured, and and I didn't lose a single hit point. And then the next fight, I just got completely destroyed, literally all the way from full health to death. Um, in this one fight, because the guy kept putting down taunt things, and I, I could only destroy them about the rate they put them down, but they're also doing a bunch of damage to me. Um, and then my next run. I've just had a much easier time of it and very rarely does an enemy put the taunt thing down. I just think I don't like the taunt thing as a mechanic because as I say, and I, I can't speak to Hearthstone and Magic, but in this game, it really is a very good idea to attack the enemy hit point pool if you possibly can. If they have eight health, like this is not a long, this is this is a sprint, not a marathon. Like you don't need to be scaling up and powering up and worrying about your mm. synergies and in- engine mm. and stuff. It's just if I just get three fucking units to attack you, this fight is over. So there's no point in me in me uh, messing around with the minion thing. And then if they have a taunt thing, obviously that counters that strategy. But it does so in a really just sort of abstract kind of sledgehammery way. It's just like oh, we you just can't you just can't attack me because of this rule. Like there's, mm. it's not really uh fleshed out in like why can't any of my people like it's not even that you taunt things don't just prevent you from attacking the enemy hit point pool they prevent you from attacking any other minion like literally nothing else can be damaged except there's one taunt mm-hmm. thing um and it's so thematically it's kind of uh feels very uh sort of false 
And then just mechanically, it's just boring. It's just they put down a taunt thing. I've got to hit the taunt thing. It just takes all choice out of it. it just mm. I have to hit the taunt thing. So, you know, if you have a whole load of damage and you can easily defeat the taunt thing, then you spend some time thinking about, okay, which which unit is it most efficient to use up on this taunt guy? Um, but the rest of the time, it's just, well, I just got to attack that, so I do. And then he puts down another one, and then I just got to attack that, so I do. And it just feels like very... That's boring to do, and then what you don't know on their turn whether they're going to put down one down. So every time they do, you're just like, oh, okay, fine. Just got to waste another turn on this shit. And I don't know. Yeah, I can't speak to whether No Air Profit is like a good or bad implementation of this mechanic, but I think I just don't like the mechanic. It's just so heavy-handed. It's so knife-edge. If they don't taunt, it's trivially easy. If they do taunt, it's a slog of unknown length that could be... Um, uh, super difficult to get through or maybe they'll just stop on turn two and then i kill them hmm. so in uh in magic there's loads of ways around taunt enemies that don't involve you just attacking them with monsters oh, yeah. so for example there's um a black spell that's been in it forever called hand of death which just kills a monster you just spend <laughs> one mana and as a black deck you just delete that thing so if, <laughs> if if the opponent's big gambit is to put loads of taunt out then against certain types of black deck they're just gonna delete it so there's counterplay to that um that is more interesting because like do you actually want to get, do you need to get rid of that taunt or would you rather kind of buff your own units up and then wait a couple of turns? Um, and that's probably true of Hearthstone as well, though I'm not very familiar with its kind of current meta. I think it's, it's, it's fair to say that in all of these games, a lot like taunt, if taunt is the only kind of key, special keyword you're seeing, then I completely understand why it's yeah, working out that definitely. way. There should be other keywords that mess things up in interesting ways or mm. spells or the equivalents mm-hmm. of spells that create these other strategies. Cause really like, because it's what you're kind of describing feels like a game where what would be called going for the face in, you know, in, in most of these contexts is always right. So basically aggro playstyles are always optimal, which means that games are just really about who can draw more damage. And then, yeah. And obviously with variable health pools, that has a weird relationship with that in, yeah. in a regular, in magic or in, in Hearthstone, it would come down to deck archetypes. So aggro control, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of like growth decks that um, maybe sacrifice early to get a mana advantage that they can then trade into damage that the other player can't deal with. Um, you know, there's scenarios like where, for example, you don't want to go for the face because this particular minion that your opponent has just played will enable them to trigger a combo, which will get them way ahead a couple of turns from now. So you don't go for the face in that in that case because you want to get stop this combo before it can happen. But that might have been a feint. They might not be holding on to those other cards they need. So you've just wasted a turn killing this mm. thing and maybe sacrificing an own unit to do it. That's where card game yeah. play comes from. Is is that like, is this a feint? Is this real? What else is this interacting with? How well do I know what they might have? Yeah, and, and that so sounds on. like mm. a lot of that comes from the symmetry of it. The fact that, I mean, A, they have a health pool as big as yours. So yeah. it's going to last a decent amount of time, uh, which is not true here. And then B, you, you know, once you, uh, are properly into that game, you've probably played with a deck like theirs. And so you have some idea of yeah. what it can and can't do. Whereas here, I mean, I guess if you play it enough, you'll get a feel for like, oh, this faction tends to have these kinds of cards, but you're never going to be playing as those people. So you'll never have like that intimate knowledge of like, I know what it's like to have these kinds of cards. How does mana work? Do. Um, it's, you start with three and every turn it's replenished and the max is increased by one so it's like hearthstone because yeah. magic is different because magic yeah. has a mad system to do yeah, with. yeah, yeah how many fields like lands yeah and, <laughs> yeah yeah and tap them did you tap yeah you sometimes tap you, on that field sometimes you could tap a swamp um <laughs> yeah and also you can have like different multiple different types of mana like you could have yeah. a red black deck and have 
fire wastelands and also swamps that you and you have some, like, of, combined lands that can be one or the other and, and also neutral yeah right yeah. it does still have um a sort, the sort of general pattern of like the amount of available mana increases over the course of the game right in it mm. does but it's more yeah, about it's ca- but it interacts with card draw which it doesn't in right. hearthstone yeah so that's to yeah. me that's one of the things one of the reasons this does not feel like it like slay the spire doesn't feel like a good comparison point for this because that is you get three energy per turn if you ever upgrade it it'll be like an hour into your run and then it's it's four energy per turn forever deal, yeah. there's no over the course of a run you're not escalating in that particular way you're you're escalating yeah. in different ways so this buyer does away with a really important concept which is the mana curve hmm. so when you're building a deck in hearthstone or in magic you consider what the curve is and there isn't necessarily a correct curve it, there's just different strategies so if you have lots of really cheap cards you're going to be able to do more early and you're going to get to a point where when you're on your four or five mana turn you will be able to play several minions or something like that mm. but if your opponent has either spells that clear the board easily or simply weathers that storm they may be planning f- to be able to field more higher more expensive cards later and and that's you know you know you talk about mid-game decks or yeah mid-range this, yeah. or late yeah. you know th- th- that is where the you're right that texture comes from it ultimately being not not symmetrical in that everyone has the same stuff but symmetrical in that everyone has the opportunity to build out of the same pool of yeah. options this definitely has that kind of um, aspect of the deck where, you, you know, your deck is sorted by mana cost and it, mm. you'll have some one energy guys and two energy guys and three energy guys all that to about uh, six or seven is the highest I've seen, I think. And I've just taken those out of my deck, the six or seven guys, because right. I'm like, by honestly, by energy four, I've either won or, or it's um, uh, or I'm not going to make it to energy seven. Um, and it's really one thing I do like about it is that the the metaphor for like what these cards are is really strong because you're this you're a prophet and you're leading a, a sort of convoy of of people who i guess believe in you or, or whatever it is you're leading them to across this wasteland and every person in your um convoy is a card and uh, and equally every card is is a person in your convoy um and it's just interestingly you seem to have so it's like the driving licenses of the people who've placed themselves to your control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's, um, uh, you don't really see it so far, but I've been picturing it as like a kind of caravan thing where there's like a whole load of people and mm. only a few vehicles. Um, but, uh, you seem to be able to just choose which ones are in your deck or not. Like they're all, all the people in your convoy are the, are the cards you have access to, but at the start of a fight, you just choose what your deck is going to be out of those people. And it can't be more than those people, but it, it could include all of them or it could, I think there's an upper limit, but I haven't, I've never gone anywhere near it. And for me, cause I realized I'm winning games so early or games are decided so early. Um, I just kind of took out all the higher cost cards and I also just took out all the boring ones. Just anyone who's just a health and an attack value. I just took them out and just kept the ones that have some kind of interesting perk in addition to that. Cause most of those just seem to be straight up better. And this is like so different to Slay the Spire where like, God, if I could get rid of the trash from my deck, <laughs> it would yeah. be so much more powerful. And this, you are a bit more powerful. I think what I don't know is there must be some downside to doing this. So I assume there's some kind of minimum. I assume I can't just pick my, my favorite card and only have that. Or maybe you can because it would... Do you redraw the card once it's been played? Well, once? that's what I don't know is my games have never gone long enough for my deck to actually cycle, even right. with my mm-hmm. reduced deck. My reduced deck is like maybe 12 cards or something. And I've never got through all of those. So I don't know if you just flat out run out if you have too small of a deck, um, or whether it does get recycled. It might be interesting if it just runs out because then there's an, there's a reason yeah. to have a bigger deck, but it's, that's more random. And you could get dealt your high value stuff early when, when it, you can't use it. Um, it does feel like there's a load of, oh, separately to that, you have your leader deck, which is your spells kind of. And they're just things you can directly do, just like do two damage or, uh, buff one of my minions by one, one. 
Um, and that one is handled totally separately. They don't represent people. They're just abilities you have. And you can't remove things from that freely. Hmm. And every time you level up, you get to choose one new card for that deck. And you also get one kind of remove point. Um, so I guess your deck is staying the same size. If you always choose to remove, you don't have to. Um, and... Uh, but you're kind of making it better because you get to remove your least favorite card and add one that you may like. Although actually the first one I got, first time I got offered three cards, they were all terrible. <laughs> and I ended up spending my next, as my, the remove point that I got with the same level up to remove the one I just added. <laughs> Could I just like go back to how it was? Um, like that poor settler trying to latch onto this caravan is like, you're accepted. No way. I hate you. Go away. So this is the leader deck where they're not people. Oh, this I see. Is just that, like the abstract things okay. of like, I could shoot you or something. Um, but your there are story events will be often involved. There's some group of people who are being attacked or something, and you rescue them. When you rescue them, they just join your convoy, and um, often they're really cool, and you you want to uh, actually use those cards. Hmm. If a card, if a minion gets taken out in combat, they that card gets an injury on it, hmm. and if it gets two injuries, it, it just dies forever. Uh-huh, um, that's interesting. Yeah, it hasn't been a problem yet because hmm. it's quite e- like I don't think it. I don't think a minion can die twice in the same fight because I think once they die in a fight, they're out of the fight forever, even though the card is not yet lost. It's just wounded. Right. Um, and then, like I say, you have total control over what you field. So at the start of every combat, you can just take out all the wounded people and then you're never running the risk of ever losing anybody. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Maybe it gets to the point where it's so desperate that you have to field some wounded people. There's a, a kind of interesting dynamic there where if, they, if the card is wounded, it starts with one less health than it would normally have. Um, and, but it also costs one less to play. So they're kind of an upside to having the <laughs> wounded thing. Yeah. It's like, well, a kind of fodder that you sort of deploy. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. In the game. I am cost no mana because I've got a gammy leg. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, if the taunt thing was less pronounced, like if the game right now it feels like mm. it's all about taunt. Um, uh, and you know, when I, get access to taunt cards i just automatically include them because it just seems like a free win basically you have to waste your turn on this Mm. you know and and these guys will do damage to you when you do um but behind that all the other mechanics do seem really interesting there there've just been a bunch of like kind of um cool mechanics that sort of like kind of indirect mechanics like one of my guys who i'm actually not fielding anymore because he costs too much mana but the concept is interesting which is every time a friendly minion dies he gains one one so you want you know if you put him down in a taunt minion that's great because they have to attack the taunt one so he's he's going to be stronger no matter what um and in theory there's been a bunch of times where at the end of my turn i realized shit i could have done something cool there which is i knew i was going to use up a bunch of my minions to throw themselves against the enemy taunt ones and that they were going to die in the process because i had a bunch of like trash minions and that was fine um but uh, I forgot to actually play that guy at the start instead of I played him at the end of my turn and realized shit if I played him at the start he would be like three stronger by now because yeah. I, I was I knew I was going to lose those guys um, uh, and then obviously you know on the enemy turn they might they might do something like that um, I also had a cool thing where every time I do damage to the enemy leader with like one of my cards one of the leader cards um, something in my convoy deck the the people uh, gets one mana cheaper. So by hurting them, I'm kind of making it easier to play stuff. Hmm. And so there are a bunch of little things like that. There's also there's this obstacle system, which is kind of strange in that there's obstacles on the on the field when you start. They take up like a grid cell. Um, and if they're in front of you, only the front thing... You can only attack if you're the frontmost thing in your like row of the battlefield. Um, 
which most of the time is not too much of a problem. But if there's an obstacle at the front of it, then you can't attack from that column until you destroy the obst- until the obstacle is destroyed. But the weird thing is, I can't find a way to attack them. I can attack obstacles on the enemy side, but I can't attack obstacles on my side. So I just have to sort of hope the enemy doesn't want them to be there <laughs> and gets rid of them, which is very strange. It feels like an interface thing. Maybe there's a way to do it, but mm-hmm. like clicking on them doesn't work. Right-clicking on them doesn't work. Dragging things into them doesn't work. Um, clicking on the obstacle, you get a very snarky message about obstacles can't act. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that. I was trying to see if there's some kind of way I can get rid of it. Um, and then like some obstacles could be cover, which means you can fire out from behind them, but they protect you from incoming damage, which is cool, but it's only come up like once and was mm. not combat relevant. Yeah, weird. Hmm. Yeah, I need to play more of it to to have a. It sounds like a lot of the issues you described come from the health pools of the opponents, and maybe yeah, the level. I yeah, like I say, I'm on the easiest difficulty level, and my first game, I got my ass kicked, <laughs> so I didn't think it was too easy. But then this game, I'm doing so well that I've. And this is kind of a bad sign with a rogue. Like uh, I haven't died; I just kind of stopped playing, <laughs> which is very rare in a rogue. Like your your second run is does not usually last long enough for you to get bored of it. Mm. And I'm kind of like I'm not completely bored of it. I'll go back to this run, but I just got to the point where I'm like, Phew, okay, I had enough of this for a while. Hmm. What's it? The uh, the new magic, the gathering game is good. Arena, yeah, I've been playing it. Yeah, um, it's it's one of the. Because I think it's quite a low bar because the previous official ones they released were pretty kind of chunky and slow and difficult <laughs> mm. to use and uh, also just felt like add-ons. You didn't get full access to all the cards. Um, yeah. Uh, whereas in this one, the whole card kind of ecology is available to you if you're able to pay money and kind of unlock decks and things like that. But in terms of as an interface thing, as a card game on your PC, it's a really slick, nice thing. And I think mm-hmm. it's about time they did that. Unless you genuinely, if, you, if, if you're interested in card games, I think Magic Arena, because it's free and it's got a tutorial, is like yeah. the best way to learn how Magic the Gathering works, even if you don't play beyond a certain amount. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think if you are interested in card games at all, knowing how magic works is super yeah. useful because it's like this was the origin of so many ideas that are in hmm. so many things yeah, absolutely. that like and it's quite intimidating to learn as a tabletop thing because yeah. it's quite complicated and i think it's got a lot of ideas like in terms of how you assign damage and how you set up initiative not initiative but how the phases work mm-hmm. like timing windows and rules windows and things that are I can understand why both tabletop games and digital games haven't aspired to recreate them because they are quite complicated. Yeah. Like there's a lot of end of phase, start of phase stuff that is, I think it's necessary, but it's, it can be, I'd understand why it'd be off-putting, hmm. but actually the video game handles that like as best as it possibly can. It's quite useful. I think, like I, I think, cause I played a little bit of magic, but like I was certainly never as into it as, as you were, Tom, but hmm. like playing arena was like, Oh, okay. I can come back to having come coming back to it post artifact, post hearthstone, lots of other things it's like oh i see like, yeah yeah you start to see the genesis of certain things i, I think there's a, a really nice sort of aesthetic quality to magic like the art's beautiful yeah. like they get such good artists to do their stuff and uh seeing a modern video game with proper like high resolution scans of that art uh, that you know doesn't slow the game down you can zoom in on them up close it's got all the lore and stuff you know it's in italics on all the cards like it's really yeah. authentic and true to the true to the game and uh yeah, yeah it's very good does it have an AI you can play against? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's cool. got loads. Um, and it's uh, got quite a nice kind of um, system where it sort of trickles decks to you. So you, you keep on playing with the deck you like, and then uh, you get points that you can put into a little kind of small XP web that unlocks different cards, and then eventually different decks that are kind of... Mer- like. It's, it's a really nice 
nice single player system for introducing you to hybrid decks and yeah. more the complicated tenants of magic. I think it has quite a brutal shelf from that into like, play where it's <laughs> yeah. like suddenly um people who've been with big collections, mm. you know, plonk down at your table and annihilate you. <laughs> right, but the yeah. journey there is I think really worth taking if you're interested in this kind of game. Yeah, it's, it's like absolutely. pretty comprehensive education in how it works until you start to encounter certain cards you have that represent 15 years of rules creep like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely fuck is this it, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like it's an excel spreadsheet printed on a picture of a wizard and <laughs> yeah. someone throws yeah. it at you and now you've lost <laughs> which is the other yeah, side does, of the magic experience it does happen what's that uh scheherazade one where you to resolve this attack you have to go and play another game of magic <laughs> yeah <laughs> amazing yeah right um yeah, so, uh, but, but so Noah Prophet is in early access? No, it's fully out. Oh, it's fully out. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's nice. Maybe I should play it. Yeah, um, yeah, sort of mixed recommendation for me. I think it's probably, like I say, I'm on the easiest difficulty and I'm complaining that it's too easy, so, <laughs> like, take that with a pinch of salt. Yeah. Uh, I will restart probably on a harder one, um, now that I understand the mechanics a bit better, and I'm definitely gonna keep on with it. But yeah, it's, it's weird. I can't tell whether my objections to it are objections to this kind of game, or whether it's their particular implementation. Mm. Mm. What have you been up to, Chris? Um, I'm going to talk about a console game, and no one's <laughs> going to stop me, because it is, it is relevant to our collective interests. Normally I would stop you, but actually I'm really interested in this one. <laughs> <laughs> would you normally stop me? No. <laughs> um, I am going to talk about uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses, which I believe you've played as well, Tom. Yeah, I played a bunch. I bought it over the weekend. It's going to pay day treat, and I've been enjoying yeah. it. Yeah. So I want to talk about it, because I think we've, Fire Emblem has come up almost every time we talk about the genre of like... Mm. I want to figure out, first and foremost, what this genre is called, because XCOM is the reference we always go to. Mm. But Battletech is in this genre. Um, mm. Lots of games in this genre. You're making a game in this genre, sort of. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's not just turn-based. It's turn-based tactics plus management basically mm. plus mm. people management kind of meta element like. yeah there's a, got to be a meta element I, I would i almost kind of want to call them like sort of like campaign tactics games or something because they right, you know maybe because i think about this a lot from a tabletop point of view mm. that like they they capture something that i've always loved in these games which is you do a battle but the consequences of the battle really matter because of the effect they have on yeah. the people that you're managing you know the you know, the, that's why people play XCOM and Iron Man. You want to have mm. that satisfaction of developing squads and then seeing them succeed or fail and, and all the rest of it. And Fire Emblem has always sat on the fringes of this because it's a, obviously it's a console strategy series, um, that very much exists in this place and it's just been sort of plowing its own furrow quietly on the side. Um, and it's the only game that's, and it's, I always think there are lessons to take from Fire Emblem to apply back to everything else. And normally that lesson is there should be kissing and everything. <laughs> um, which is glib, but basically the whole appeal of Fire Emblem is the management aspect of it is f almost, f is pr way more prominent than the battle aspect, I would argue. Yeah. Like particularly early in a Fire Emblem game. Like I would say I'm 10, 15 hours into three houses mm. and I would say that clearly 75% of my time has been spent doing things other than battles. Yeah. Like yeah. easily. And actually, because it's this Fire Emblem, one weakness of the series, it's definitely reflected in this one is, um, it's re it, I'm still in the tutorial. It's still introducing <laughs> mechanics. It's really yet to let me off the chain. And therefore the battles have been interesting, but they're only interesting because of the characters and the relationships yeah. that are developing. Like, 
there's usually a bit of an Ephirium game, and I, I think I can feel it coming in this one, where it starts to finally just, it's finished introducing every individual type of thing. Mm-hmm. It's gotten to the point where at hour 15, it finally reintroduces Pegasuses. Right. And then, and then finally terrain matters in interesting ways, and, and the game starts. Mm. It's like, it takes a long time to get to that point. And that's, it's other great heritage is JRPGs, and you have to be prepared for a JRPG's quantity of mm. just st- stuff you're going to get through um i'm not sure i am prepared for this. <laughs> i'm not sure you are prepared for this it's gonna be really interesting because like and actually so so um um three houses is like is mad as fuck and i'm gonna start <laughs> yeah. kind of, like, the premise is something else <laughs> yeah so i want to like the premise is incredible basically the premise what the premise is is a lawsuit waiting to happen <laughs> in this so essentially in this every fire emblem game one one thing that does make them more accessible unlike something well so like final fantasy they sort of each new fire emblem game is like a new version of the same universe so like mm. the plot there's no there's no long-winded well there is long-winded plot but there's no real like plot you need to know about from a previous game or anything like that yeah but loads of the same elements reoccur and the protagonist always looks kind of the same <laughs> yeah and like yeah. um and like there's always going to be a fire emblem mm-hmm. they're just going to call it something slightly <laughs> different in this one it's the flame crest like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's always like slightly and like um um and you know there's um but the the story is actually very pretty wildly in terms of setup and this one has the weirdest i don't know how like they bent over backwards so many times to try and make it do everything they want to do and it doesn't quite work <laughs> but it is incredible so basically at the start of the game you and your dad are mercenaries and then while out being mercenaries you rescue three kids from war school <laughs> and the three three teens that are about your age but not really mm. um from war academy who are, each of them is the heir to the throne of a different fantasy kingdom but they're all in the same they're all going to school in the same fan the same war hogwarts that is also basically the vatican or it has the relationship to the rest of the world that the vatican did to like the holy roman empire <laughs> yeah that's good. That's good <laughs> so it's like so battle hogwarts is also the vatican because it's presided over by the magic pope basically this is what you need to know and anyway so they're very impressed by you and your dad your dad used to work for the magic pope at war school uh, so he's immediately he just accepts they're like you might ha- you have to come back and he's like okay and you don't do anything else <laughs> but they're so impressed by you that they make you the new professor even though your your age is question mark <laughs> because um there's a there's a, a a dragon fairy pixie woman who lives in your brain who controls time that's a different issue <laughs> there's um um Anyway, so you become the new professor of war, I guess, at war school. Mm. Uh, basically, slightly... And so I've seen this on Twitter. People like... So the first thing you have to do, it's cruel, the amount of decisions you have to make. Yeah. Naming a character, that's super hard. Because no one knows where you're from, the three heirs to these different kingdoms ask you really on, like, where are you from? And you just pick one. Like, you pick one of their three kingdoms. And then you get asked... I don't know why they would ask a new teacher this. Which house do you want? Because <laughs> the idea is there are there are two teachers when you join the school um uh one is our friend matt elliott as a wizard <laughs> <laughs> and um one is uh sexy mrs crabapple from the simpsons yes. <laughs> yeah. and um 
and um they uh fully they will they just say like we've been here for years but you pick which house you want we'll just take the other two. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's a bit like choosing your starter pokemon basically yeah, yeah and um but how far into the game is this there's, like, almost immediately, <laughs> almost immediately. <laughs> so you have no idea who no, these houses no, are. no. no you yeah. basically get told you get to ask questions about them so the, the houses each also align with the kingdoms somewhat and so each house is like a collection of nine students which is going to be your party really for the rest of the game mm. it's it's mad each so there are yeah because there are nine in each house and then a bunch of other characters so each of these each house has nine students each student is a voiced fully voiced companion bioware style companion character with quite a deep backstory loads of relationship stuff just you know full conversation trees mm. all of that you pick one and then those are your students and then the other two branches aren't locked to you but that's it and I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter about people saying, oh, you know, if you don't join the Leicester Alliance, it's called the fucking Leicester Alliance. <laughs> Jesus Christ. If you don't join the Leicester Alliance, you're a Tory, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I would, I would contest that when you're discussing the difference between houses in, um, the fashy war school, school for, for horny teens, hmm. we're in a certain like political space here where no one's, <laughs> you know what I mean? There's not really a strong no, non-private school voice yeah. in this particular <laughs> environment. It's also the whole thing is a lawsuit waiting to happen. Um, basically, and then you become, uh, the professor for this particular house. And the first mission is to kick the shit out of the other two houses <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in staged warfare. Um, and this earns you the right to go on, uh, school trips. And so the way the game works, and this is great and, and mad is you have a calendar and months pass. And there are these gorgeous hand animated cutscenes to just introduce the concept of the month that it currently is. Like it, it might be <laughs> yeah. a reaping season or the weather might change. <laughs> yeah. And you get these almost like medieval dioramas of like enormous poems about like, like woodcuts, well, woodcuts yeah. of like how the season has changed. There is a plot, but every month the magic Pope gives you the month's mission. Mm-hmm. And that mission is always going to take place towards the end of the month, like the last Tuesday of the month or something. <laughs> It'll be time for war. And the rest of the time is kind of up to you. So I just want to say it's much heavier on management. Um, you, um, you choose what to do with your Saturdays. So on Saturday, you can choose to, but when you've got all the optional options and lot, which takes a while, you can choose to attend a, a seminar from a visiting professor with your students and then level up in some ways. You can choose to go to war, <laughs> to take your students out into the field to kill bandits. Yes. Like there's this weird plot point, which is like, they take the students out, but the knights of the church always help, like they're on the periphery to help. So if the students are struggling to murder bandits in the woods, like there are knights are there, but this is like, you know, a trial bloodletting, basically. Mm. How humiliating for the bandits. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just a trainee yeah. killer. Particularly because some of the kids on the, like, because you can see how old everyone is. Some of them are like 15. Yeah. And so like, uh, and this is going to make everything else super weird. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then, but you, the other thing you can choose to do is explore. And if you explore, you run around and you talk to everybody and you run around the, the academy, which unlocks and it's this massive place. Mm. And you run around, you chat, and everyone has things to say, and you find objects that they've lost. And there's like a quiz, because people have quite detailed backgrounds and you like preferences. And then it's like a quiz where you find an object. It's like, this looks like someone who cares about fashion, but quite old fashion. And you might, you, you can obviously try it on everybody, but you get a lot of reputation points if you find the person who this missing item belongs to and give it back to them. So it's basically it's like how well, how closely you've been paying attention to the character writing, yeah. basically, and the bios and stuff. You can go fishing, you can do some gardening, all of these level up your professor points and therefore your professor rank and your professor rank affects how many actions you can do before you have to go to sleep. 
um, <laughs> while you're being a professor. And, <laughs> game mechanics. <laughs> yeah. And, and being a professor, I should stress, involves a lot of doing the Naruto run around a school. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> returning yeah. missing items, fishing and gardening. Um, you can cook a meal. And that will add a certain stat, boost a certain stat based on which ingredients you use for all of your students for the entire month. And you pick which student you want to cook with. And then they join you. And then maybe they're like... It's a potent meal. Yeah, exactly. You can take two students to dinner. If you take two (laughs) students to dinner... um, you you they you have a chat and if you picked the right meals for them and stuff they their motivation maxes out Hmm. and um this is important because on sundays you set the lesson plan for the subsequent week (laughs) and this is based on motivation training people individually you set goals for your students like i think you want to get good at lances and horses because you're going to grow up to be a knight and then you do their exams and then they do exams to unlock classes and they step into new classes and it's the management, like, it's, it's busy work. It's gardening game, full busy work. Like, XCOM never asks you to do this yeah. degree of just, you know, stuff, but it's quite effective. Uh, it has a sort of animal crossing type appeal because it has that just sort of like, I'm just tending to my kind of crop of students and yes. things. And then when you do go to battle, when people do actions well when they're standing next to each other they learn to like each other more Hmm. and then this then translates into them getting what's called support where they go up a support rank and when this happens you get a cutscene where they talk to each other and then this one's kind of weird because the first support cutscenes are almost always them arguing yeah like yeah and some of them are weirdly dark in (laughs) ways that like Hmm. there's um there's one really early on where you're uh which house did you choose so i choose i chose the um the least popular house. Oh yeah, the blue one. The blue one. Even oh, I you're the blue, the blue lions. lions. I'm the blue lions. The knights, Ooh. and they're all do-gooders and the paladins. You know? Oh shit! Um, um, Black eagle. I, I thought. Oh, this is because <laughs> the the like narrative I've heard is just that the the golden whatever. the golden deer. Yeah, it's black that's, eagle. That's blue, what everyone blue is saying. Lion, they're picking and. Um, I was, uh, I was kind of dreading getting to that choice and being like, oh, fuck, the one everyone else has picked is the, obviously the best one and I've got to pick it and just be the same as everyone it's, else. Yeah, it's not true. Like, um, so yeah. I was like, no. No. Uh, so the goal, the reason why, I, well, it was partly because like they're a very positive do-gooder attitude, uh, which I enjoyed. Um, but, uh, the emo wizards were very appealing. I, like, I went for the emo wizards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The emo wizards were very appealing. Um, the trouble was, um, so I'm playing on classic mode and, same yeah yeah it's a classic mode if one of your students dies in a proper battle they're dead forever that's it hmm. you lose all of that that dialogue and all of that extra kind of amazing character work that's yeah been it's always that. a weird thing for fire emblem but yeah. it, but this one has like a rewind thing as well right yes it does that is very helpful um, yeah the time woman who lives in your brain it yeah, does let you can, rewind three times <laughs> can help um uh, but yeah, so the the trouble, the reason why I didn't go with the golden deer, is that what they're called? Mm, yeah. Um, it's because they're all archers and I, just, I don't want to die straight away. <laughs> um, like they, they each have different specialties and uh, the knights are obviously very good at lances and armor and stuff like that. And magic is always really powerful in Fire Emblem. So you, you don't really want bows at the start. <laughs> yeah. Right. They become amazing later, but yeah. I've got two archers in mine and they're, hmm. they're doing work, but yeah. Like yeah, they do work. My, yeah. um, um, I've got the, the point now where, um, the leader, the leader of the, um, the, the black eagles is like this sort of like five foot tall princess of an ancient empire, but mm. she's now a, an, a heavy knight. So she wears basically just like a fridge of plate mail armor and absolutely <laughs> fuck things up with a 200 axe. That's awesome. Good. That's awesome. Um, I love that about the game, the way that your students and your characters progress just even 
in the first sort of 10 hours before the game really start, gets going they're already acquiring new classes and sometimes they'll come up to you as they're being tutored and be like sir can i can i be a swords master and then you, you could be like no <laughs> use this fucking axe keep using that bow or you could just be like yeah do whatever you want to do just be be your best you yeah <laughs> the one thing it teaches you is the correct thing to do when a student asks you is to tell them exactly what they want to hear because it rewards you for that it doesn't reward you for anything else no that's true <laughs> so, yeah. um but actually like the the character writing like it's it's sort of standard fair jrpg stuff for the most part but it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination yeah. like the characters are i would say are quite vividly drawn and that's ultimately why I, the reason i picked the house i picked is mm. because minimal really annoying voices which every other house has at least one character where you're like oh shut the oh, fuck up yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. whereas actually um and um and but otherwise like you know all of them have a balance of personalities and so you pick that you can recruit from other houses but you have to sufficiently impress them mm-hmm. um you can also borrow someone from another house for a month um in which case they will come with, on with your missions and then there's a surrounding cast of teachers and other people who are around the school who you can also uh recruit yeah including the most sexually aggressive like apothecary <laughs> <laughs> like she is like, the first time you talk to her she says like oh i didn't think you'd be coming to visit me this soon professor close the door and we'll get on with it and, you're like, <laughs> and then you sort of mutely reply like i am not uh, i just wanted to ask if you wanted me to gather things from around the world she's like, oh yeah that as well <laughs> like, it's, yeah it's 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 got a playfulness to it but it also has <laughs> I think it has a strange relationship with so different Fire Emblem games get to the and now the kissing part at different points mm. and uh, Fire Emblem Awakening which is my favorite game in the series gets yeah, to it at a really interesting point and does something with it and a time skip which I think is great mm. and obviously they can't pull that trick off multiple times this one is actually on the for the most part doing its best to deal with the fact that you are a professor <laughs> And you're building relationships with and among your students. Like, they are, like, you, like, it basically says, like, you're 19, I guess, and mm. therefore it's not weird, but it is weird by virtue of the fact that you have a position it's of authority. Yeah. Like, it feels like the, there's a, there's a teen, sort of teen, there's a high school drama here, which is what it really is. Mm. And all, half, 90% of the dialogue all fits into that pattern. Um, apart from the fact that I think for game reasons, you need to be a professor, not a student. Hmm. There's definitely a version of this game where you are the new student or the head student at this, at the Vatican's Battle Academy, <laughs> but that's not the game they wanted to make because they wanted you to be planning the lessons and doing all of yeah, this development stuff. Right. So you kind of have to be a professor, but like really early on, <laughs> the person who is most encouraging in, with you in this is the Pope, um, the magic Pope, who's constantly telling you, like, don't fucking worry about it. Just make friends with your students. It's really important that you form a bond with them. Besides, we're all the same age. Don't worry <laughs> about it. It's not weird at all. And, um, like, there's a great mission she gives you when you go back to the academy when she's like, I think some of your students are, are struggling. Have you considered giving them these herbs? And it's like, <laughs> is, the, is the Pope giving me weed? <laughs> like, don't worry, I'm a chill Pope. <laughs> like... This it's is cool like, here. <laughs> this is a classic video game uh, problem, I guess narrative problem, where you want the player to have a massive amount of agency, but also the player needs everything explained to them. So they also need to be the new guy who doesn't mm. know anything. Yeah, <laughs> so it's yeah. like, you have no qualifications, but also you get to decide everything that happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, I think it struggles because you, the player of Fire and Moon Games, whatever, know where this is all going. Like, mm. it doesn't, you know... It's such a weird situation. Like, it has so many weird moments. There's a, there's a cutscene with one of, this is why I asked which house he works. There's a, there's a character in the, um, the Black Eagle house, this, this young man, his whole thing is, he always wants to fight and he always wants to do the right thing. And his issue is, he will always step in 
well, even when it'd be better not to. Mm. He gets involved. And there's a cutscene when you get your kind of, uh, first level of your, your personal kind of like bond with him increases, um, which is intended to illustrate this. And it is, I think unintentionally, one of the darkest things I've ever seen in one of these <laughs> games. So basically the cutscene starts and you are watching a mysterious man. They're never particularly high budget. These, these cutscenes, it's yeah. like, you know, vignettes basically. And there's this armored dude standing in the, uh, standing in the castle and you don't know who he is. And this person, and the, your student comes up to you and says like, you know, who's that? What are you doing? It's like, well, I'm, I'm watching this guy because we don't know who he is. And he looks suspicious. And he's like, I'm going to go kick the shit out of him. And he's like, no, no, no. We will learn more if you, if you wait and be patient. And then this is the, the, the relationship developing is you, he learns something from you and, and the rest of it. And then he goes, and then this armored figure walks off and he shouts, he's going directly to where the children play <laughs> and chases after him. And then it fades to black. And then it fades back in and this, and your student is being reprimanded by an older knight who says, if you hadn't chased that guy, he wouldn't have killed himself. Oh my <laughs> Whoa. God. Whoa. <laughs> it's like, I literally went, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, That's a lot. That's a lot. It, it was a lot. And he was like, yeah, but he was going for the children. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> and it's like, yes, but we found that he had a gang tattoo and now we'll never know who his compatriots are. You've endangered everyone in this castle. That's a deeply complicated fate to black there. Like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot took place. Yeah. In black. So yada, yada, yada. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and anyway, and then it like fades out and it's like, you're now at support rank C. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I love Fire Emblem. I love Fire Emblem too, but like, it is all over I feel the like someone place. was assigned the job of making that cutscene that showed all that stuff happening and they were like, nope. <laughs> what it feels like is like, there's some, uh, that feels like a bit of a lost in translation. There's mm. something there that wasn't, yeah. Um, but yeah, for all of that, like the battle game itself is only just getting to the point where there's stuff to learn from. I think in, t- in, in terms of how this stuff, like, what Fire Emblem is really good at is all the stuff you kind of wish happened in XCOM games where characters talk to each other and build relationships and stuff. And it's because it's pre-written and they are fixed characters and things. Mm. And there's a mad amount of them. And, you know, there's so many different relationships you can build and cutscenes to unlock. And it's about unlocking the story. And there's this big visual novel dating game, basically, aspect to it. Mm. Um, but there is one system. There is one system that all games like this, including the one you're making, Tom, have to adopt mm. have to adopt um Get rewind not well rewind is good we already got rewind we got re- yeah <laughs> got rewind. Exactly. this i was going to say it's the equivalent right um into the breach you know gave us the the the, the rewind to to that extent you know or invisible ink actually no invisible, oh you're right invisible ink right that one's been done like if, if each of these games contribute something to the genre um fire emblems is this right as the month progresses sometimes as the days go by it will be someone's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> when it is their birthday, you have two options. You can either spend 200 gold pieces. No, <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can spend 200 gold pieces to send them flowers, regardless of who they are. <laughs> if you do this, a li- their little avatar will pop up and they'll go, thank you. <laughs> that is it. However, the other option, which you can do other circumstances otherwise, but it's mainly, it's free on their birthday, is invite them to tea. If you invite them to tea, you enter a for some reason, first person tea drinking simulation <laughs> where you are sat in a flowery kind of rose garden with them and they sit there. And then the first thing you must do is pick which tea you will drink. 
And these are items that you've collected by going through the bins of the school by running <laughs> and doing quests. And yeah. you, you might try and, the first thing you will do is try and match the tea to the personality of the person. So like an imperious tea for imperial character, common. <laughs> what is an imperious tea? Well, this like, it gives you a description. Like this is a nutty tea. It's oh. an acquired taste that nobles like. And you're but like. In real life, would you say like lapsang souchong? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Or like, you know, just a, like a, a PG tips for, for the, 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 the low born <laughs> students among you. There's a whole class thing in the game. There as is. Well. Yeah. The, uh, um, anyway, so you pick the tea, and then you uh, then you enter the conversation phase of of the tea experience, where you get three opportunities to pick subjects of communication, so com- subjects of a conversation, and these are really quite cleverly written because they do map on to the things you should know about your students' personalities, but they're not really obvious. Like just because someone likes, um, you know, I might say that someone likes. Uh, the outdoors, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to like talking about the gardens of the school, but maybe that's the best option if the other two aren't great. The other options might be things like cute monks. They're always like two, mo- two <laughs> names. So it's like cute monks, weird fish I saw, <laughs> gardens, war and loss. And like you pick, if you pick the right thing, you'll get feedback like the, commu- the, the, the conversation got lively. <laughs> and then you pick the next one. Um, if you get any of them wrong or you get a kind of, uh, you get, you, if you pick a com- topic of conversation that is incorrect, they go, mm. and then at the end of this conversation sequence, regardless of how many others you get right, they'll go, had a nice time. See you later. However, if you get all three of them, like a nice, Oh God, this is going well. Great conversation. Then you get a, f- a fourth chance uh, to pick a new thing. In this case, it's an action, which would be something like laugh or reprimand or compliment <laughs> if you and then and then you got to kind of match this to the mood they're in if you pull that off a huge red certificate appears <laughs> which says in block caps golden letters perfect tea time <laughs> and this is the best game mechanic environment if you achieve perfect tea time then you get into overtime <laughs> <laughs> And in tea time over time, <laughs> you have two options. You can give them as many gifts as you want. You can drain your entire inventory of presents. Is there as, usually a cap on how many gifts you can give Well, them? usually it's like you give someone a gift and they go, thanks. You can normally do it, but in this case, you can just start dumping gifts on them. <laughs> like you're in bonus overtime supermarket sweet relationship building. Yeah. You can just like give them all the flowers you have and the things you found. People love owl feathers. Yeah, owl feathers are a do. universal gift. Mm. Um, the other thing you can do is a weird one it's called observe and then you get a free cam and you just look at them but like only from like the shoulders up like oh you just God. look at them what from a sort of a distance you pan around them and then button prompts come up and it's like you can either nod banter or something else i can't remember what the other one is it might be laugh and then when you do this if you match the button prompts they will tell you a joke <laughs> what <laughs> This is like a secret system. I it didn't is. even know this was possible. You only unlock this with perfect tea time. Um, <laughs> Never encountered perfect tea time. <laughs> you've got to you've got to learn more about your students, basically. <laughs> I see. I see. <laughs> um, and then if you when you've succeeded at all this, you can because in this case you choose when tea time ends because you've entered the the <laughs> extra extra time. <laughs> And they're your prisoner now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tea time is over when I say it's over. <laughs> you can sit there just pressing the banter button mm. 
and listening to the same joke again and again and then giving all the presents in your inventory away and then <laughs> then when you're finished you press end and the person goes like this was the best tea time i've ever had <laughs> and your 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 relationship with them goes up a huge amount incredible and the whole thing is is vastly unprofessional from you a teacher yes yeah absolutely <laughs> um but is nonetheless completely incredible and i desperately want I think Battletech more than anything else to find a mechanism by which you can have a perfect tea time. <laughs> I would enjoy this in XCOM as well. Yeah, absolutely. When you said this is a mechanic you absolutely must implement, I was hoping the summary of what this mechanic was would last to 10 to 30 seconds. <laughs> it sounds somewhat involved. No, Tom, I mean, this is the thing. There's no, there are no flaws in the implementation of this tea time system. And if this tea time, I, I just feel like, I don't know how you would improve it. It's, you know, it's, it, it applies some pressure on the writers to get characters where you're going to have an interesting challenge figuring out the right kind of tea. But, you know, I think if you, maybe that should be the test for all game writing. Like, if I can't figure out what kind of tea this character wants, is it really a good character? And yeah. let's face it, ordinary tea time might be 10 seconds long in a video game. No. But perfect tea time <laughs> is infinite. It's forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that, and that's basically what I want to say about Fire Emblem, Fire Emblem Three Houses. I think I said the thing that's explained it. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Chris, that um, Awakening is my favourite one. Um, because in Awakening, um, so in, sorry, in Three Houses, you assign battalions to your child, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> your child's charges. So, um, like, you, you give a 15 year old, like, a, a knight battalion to lead <laughs> in battle. Um, and this kind of replaces the old system where, uh, people who have really good strong bonds would defend each other in combat, which is mm. like a really, really nice aspect of the 3DS. I uh, miss that actually. Uh, yeah, I really miss, miss that as well. The battalion stuff's hilarious though, because, um, y- you do like a special, they're called gambits for some reason, but they're basically just, you tell your battalion do thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they can miss, like the entire battalion <laughs> can miss. <laughs> And um, uh, to a man, uh, yeah, yeah, and the animation for that is hilarious. <laughs> uh, and um, so opponents start doing this to you uh, like uh, about five or six hours into the game. Um, and I've got like a a guy on a horse. It's like the first time I've got a, a proper mounted unit. It's brilliant. Um, and the horse dodge animations are just beautiful. <laughs> They're so funny. Uh, so uh, the the opponent, what they do is they like when you activate a gambit, uh, the the main character kind of like holds their sword up or something and, and, and yells, you know, go charge. There's a, a brilliant sound of like, you know, warriors charging forwards and you see like dozens and dozens of them just like charging towards your guy. And then the horse hops about one meter sideways <laughs> and a big message appears saying, missed. As and like the entire battalion. Naruto run in the wrong direction. Yeah, just like straight past you into the woods and vanish. Uh, <laughs> it's priceless it's extremely good yeah it's version of people helping each other which i think is really necessary for fire emblem like yeah. the bits where people would show up in each other's combats mm. was part of the fun of it yeah it's in this represented where if you do a gambit and your your allies have gambits that are also in range yeah they all yell basically yeah like they all show up at the beginning of the gambit to go like yeah Ooh, <laughs> fucking hell and then the knights run away or something like that Oh, it's very good. It's very good. Fire Emblem is one of my favorite series. Yeah, me too. And, yeah. um, yeah, uh, you could be right, Chris. Loads of games should just rip, rip, rip entire mechanics out of that game and, and make it real. Like XCOM in particular. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've, you know, they've, 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 they've Phoenix point till December and I can only guess it's because Fire Emblem came out and they're like, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> no, <laughs> tea time. Time. <laughs> no tea time. There is no perfect tea time. <laughs> is there such a thing as a perfect tea time? The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, who else been playing what? Uh, I, fucking Alex mentioned Assassin's Creed Odyssey on the last pod. 
that I was on anyway, and that has caused me to relapse. <laughs> yep. So mm. I've been playing an insane amount of that. I think I stopped when I was, like, I wanted to kill all the cultists and mm-hmm. that cultist web thing. I fucking love it. And it's, it's like, feels like the final piece of like, what, how to make the most of an open world game is just like, give me a big web of people I gotta kill and I can click on one of them and you just mark them on the map and I can just see, 5,000 meters away on some mountain is some fucking dude. And yeah, I'm just going to yeah. go there. And, and I will even like sometimes avoid fast travel to do this because it's just so, I get so like uh, excited about just the fantasy of just like, I know where the fucking guy is and I'm just going to cross like land and sea it's to like get the, to them. like the Lancelot bit in Monty Python and the Holy Grail which is just running across that field forever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, And I, I think I stalled on it a bit when I, I had done all the ones I could do and the rest of them were like, either continue your odyssey to find out more about this cultist or um this guy's just fucking level 45 and i am level 20 <laughs> and so that's just not gonna happen i gave it a good shot i think i talked about this last time i talked about odyssey where like i brought my ship into port near the 45 guy and tried to like shoot him with all of my archers and all of my javelins that, yeah. from a boat it doesn't work um uh, the the real answer to how to kill level 45 guy is be level 47 <laughs> and come back and like hi again <laughs> me I, i'm now 18 times more powerful than i was last time <laughs> and i can kill you in one hit um it, that's kind of my big problem with the game almost though like that's, that's yeah i wish point. I, it has enough in it it has enough flexibility in your equipment and the perks you can get and the abilities you can get and planning and a bunch of other stuff where enough stuff supports the possibility of you coming up with a way to kill this guy who's higher level than you. Mm. And I, it would have, it would have happened if I had tried again at level 42 or, or 40 even. Uh, I think then all of my scheming and planning, combining of all of my advantages and changing all of my kit, respecking everything I have to mm. just for this one attack, uh, probably could have done it. But it was just, it's a fucking vast world. And so when I was, last time I was here, I was probably like level 30. By uh, by the time I was level 42, I was on the other side of Greece and doing something else. And by the time I got back, I was suddenly level 47. And I'm like, oh, I can just take you now. I can just do it. And I actually, I still did. So this is like what I love about the game. And I will just invest in it more than I need to. And so I will always... um I, I go for the assassin tree. It will surprise nobody to know. Um, and, uh, I mean, skill tree, not like there isn't like a physical tree. <laughs> <laughs> that would help, but it's I mean, made it of have knives. To be in the right place, obviously. It's made of knives and bastards. <laughs> um, How did it get up on top of me? <laughs> there's a whole bunch of shit. Like it, it's good. It's, a, I think it's a, uh, a really good level up system in that that whatever way you want to specialize your character there's so much to invest in you can just keep on pumping points and you're still getting interesting extra stuff so there's like oh i want all my assassination attacks to do more damage also all of your equipment can enhance that but then there's a skill that does that and then separately from that there's another skill that uh is like a special assassination that costs adrenaline and it does three times as much damage or i think it does twice as much damage but then you can upgrade it to three times as much and upgrade it to five times as much and uh keep sinking points into that uh, and then separately from that, like what a really high level assassin ability is just like, you're better at night. <laughs> like at night, all your assassin stuff does more damage and also your sneaking is better and all this other stuff. And that's just an extra bonus that stacks on top of all that other stuff. And of course I've got that, to, you can invest in that like three times. Mm. And so now like the ritual is I, you know, 
I'm, I'm usually wearing all my assassin gear anyway that boosts my assassin damage and then find the person and then meditate until nighttime because I do just a little bit more damage at night and uh, then just like stalk them, figure out where they're alone, run up to them, do the special assassination attack that costs me mana and takes a while to execute and um, takes off most of their health. Uh, and then after they after i've assassinated them once <laughs> they've realized i'm there <laughs> like, hey wait a minute i'm being assassinated quite a lot right now <laughs> could this be an assailant ah yes <laughs> uh from then you can't do like a normal assassination attack but there's still the hero strike which is the mm. ability that's like uh an attack you can use in combat but it, it's a it's like 60 percent of your assassin damage which doesn't sound like a lot but my assassin damage is 120,000 hit points <laughs> so it's like yeah that's still a lot yeah uh and I, I actually have just i didn't have it at the time but i've just now got like a special perk that gives my hero strike 20 percent extra damage so it's it's crazy now um so basically there's a ritual and these are my favorite moments in the game that one the level 45 guy was maybe a little bit anticlimactic because well he was such a nemesis by that point i tried to fight him like at several other points in the game and so coming back to it even though it wasn't mechanically that challenging it was still kind of cool i still waited out till night and found him alone on his ship and i took out i think i took out every other guard in the area like silently um i think i even recruited them because i didn't want to kill them like my beef was not with them it's just this one guy yeah (laughs) yeah and recruiting is amazing um and then finally took him out um but then other times all of my favorite moments really have been like oh, i've got to kill this cultist and you they're thousands of, of they're, they're kilometers away and you ride out there or you realize like oh it would actually be better if i got the uh my ship and sailed to this cliff and came at it from that angle so then i don't have to cross the, all this land and realizing like once you get close you realize they're on this like cliff top temple and there's this huge fort leading up to them but if i if I scale the cliffs from the sea, I can just get straight to them. And there's all this, like, the, the more defenses there are that I don't have to engage with in any way, the more I enjoy doing this. Um, and just getting them, uh, alone at night. They're usually asleep, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I say, like planning it out, waiting till nightfall, scaling a cliff. And it's, it's a combination of like, this is, it's mechanically interesting, like, you know, approach us a, situation from any angle you like and the resistance you encounter is just what you realistic you would it's simulated rather than a, a game rather than a cutscene and a series of, of boss fights or whatever uh, i love that um obviously i love the, the just the fact that it was my choice to go out and do this right now like i just decided i was going to cross the all of greece to find this person um and then actually doing it is there's kind of ritual to it and waiting for nightfall is cool um and then, yeah, a the, the bunch of stealth mechanics and just, like, the basic business of, of assassinating somebody is is pretty cool and feels good. Um, the only slight complaint I have is with the cultists, you can't kick them off a cliff. <laughs> There's a special rule about them because, like, they're going to have something really important on their body, so they don't want you to just, like, right. rocket them into space, yeah. <laughs> which you can more or less do with anyone else. Um and so I, there was one guy where I was really like, oh man, I can, this is such a good cliff. <laughs> Don't tempt me with a cliff like this if I can't kick him off it. And that you really can't. They, they just, there's an invisible wall at the thing. Almost everyone else you can. There um, are a few you can. There are a few mission critical people you can kick off a cliff. You'd have to go down and finish them off. That's the problem. All right. Uh, yeah, this guy just literally wouldn't. There's just an invisible wall. Um, mm. But I could, like, the same cliff, I kicked someone else off. Like, there was a sergeant there and I could just kick him off it. Right. Um, yeah, which is a shame. Uh, I'm level 56 now. <laughs> um, I've played a lot and it's the level up system. Uh, I'm, 
I kind of like it more and more the more I play. And I've just got to the point now where I have enough total ability points that I can basically dual class between Assassin and Warrior. Uh, Hunter, I have like some skills, but um, I can now... I don't need to like... There was a time when I was respecking. Like if I wanted to do an arena fight, I've just... You could, respecking is really cheap, so I could just take all my ability points out and put them all into warrior stuff mm. and re-equip all my things. Back then, the game didn't have loadouts either, so I had to manually find all eight pieces of armor that had the best warrior <laughs> bonuses and put them all on and then yeah. take them all off afterwards, which is a huge pain in the ass. God, like now, yeah. thank God it has a loadout system where you just you set up, you know, my loadout too is all my warrior stuff. It's still dumb that you have to switch it like that. Like, it's... You just have to because every piece of armor can have a warrior bonus or an assassin bonus and it's huge and it affects all of the assassin what stuff you do or all of the warrior stuff you do So and the, the difficulty spikes are boss fights so for those you just need maximum warrior damage so you basically have to switch all your equipment out which I think is a flaw of the system um, but yeah I've, I've also started to like recruit people more and rather than killing them if they're not like an actual target um, and uh, I was sneaking through uh, sneaking up to a camp and there was a guy, I think I like whistled to lure him into a bush. And then I, I hit the knockout button, which is, you have to be, you can't really do this to like bosses or anyone who's like above your level because it's only does, the amount of knockout damage you do is I think just your normal default assassination damage, which is, you know, if you're taking out a proper target, you need to do the special assassination that does five times as much damage. Um, but this guy, I did have, uh, I, I could take him out with the knockout attack stealth attack and i did but he was carrying a torch <laughs> and so he fell into the bush i was hiding in and his I, the next thing after you knock them out you then press this button to recruit them um and i was just trying to do that but his torch fell into the bush set fire to the bush the bush set fire to him which woke him up <laughs> and then he jumps up on fire i jump up on fire and <laughs> his friend suddenly sees this just sees then you hug and then you recruit them <laughs> i was just about to hire him and i'm like fuck i just gotta stab him because i can't like, there's no non-lethal way out of this we're both on fire i'm oh, on shit. fire you're on fire your friend's seen me i've just gotta stab you i'm sorry man <laughs> i wanted to hire you it's not gonna work out <laughs> like, i'll let you know but <laughs> worst interview ever <laughs> <laughs> the whole it's it's such a, a absurd conceit um it sounds like in general uh well it sounds like fire emblem uh, is a lot less worried about gamey stuff than, mm. than assassin's creed is but uh this is one area where assassin's creed was like fuck it it's <laughs> for game reasons <laughs> you need to be able to hire these people and so anyone you can just knock them out and then you you wake them up again and i'm fascinated by all the mechanics of this because you knock them out then there's another button to recruit them, which means waking them up from being unconscious. And then Cassandra has a line about, like, um, come with me and you'll earn more drachmae than you've ever had. But when you knock them out, you automatically loot them and take all of their drachmae. <laughs> so you, like, rob them and then say, if you come with me, you'll get a lot of money. I, I happen to know you're on hard financial times right now. <laughs> uh, and then the worst of it all is is they don't actually get hired by you doing that. You you sort of say you're hiring them and say, go, go meet Barnabas at, at the... Uh, at the port, he'll um, he'll be expecting you, uh, but then you haven't actually hired them because you have to go into the menu and and then pay them some money to like bring them on board. And the I, money they just nick from them, basically. Yeah, and I I recruit people basically to get rid of the body. <laughs> if you kill someone, there's this body you got to do something about. If you mm. recruit them, they just leave, so there's no body. Uh, and so I've I've recruited you know 500 people, <laughs> and I can't afford to hire that many people, so they're just sitting in this roster, like unpaid, waiting for this You've money. Condemned them to the them. UI. Yeah. Yeah. They're all interns, unpaid yes, interns. A huge staff of unpaid interns. <laughs> 
one thing I will say about um, Fire Emblem actually you just reminded me of is um, if you do lose a student no one comments on it <laughs> <laughs> after the fact like uh, you know so I had someone called Ingrid and she was on track uh, uh, she, she's one of the only tolerable she's blue she, lion people as far as I can she's tell. great yeah and um she, she was on track to become like a pegasus knight and that's what she really wants to do she came up to me in the previous week and was like i really want to be a pegasus knight i want to retrain i was like yeah great but then she got twatted by a bandit with a big axe and died <laughs> um and i was like okay that's that sucks but i kind of want to see how this sort of plays out like how much the game is really gonna mm. deal with this you got a student killed professor uh, yeah, yeah we don't care 15 year old student no one said anything about it like it, there's literally no lines of dialogue nothing ingrid is just like erased from history now <laughs> she's just not she it's like she never was part of hogwarts murder hogwarts <laughs> exactly so. the pope just hands you some weed and is just like don't worry, don't worry about, about it. it we're pretty chill here they'll all forget hogwarts. don't worry yeah <laughs> that's just how it goes poor ingrid <laughs> That's kind of disappointing because that is the promise of that system. That's yeah. right. Yeah, it is disappointing. Like it's a real flaw, I think, um, because you, 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 they've done so much to support those relationships and like create these characters, and then you know, with this kind of danger of that, that you'd lose them, and then when you do lose them, there's nothing like in terms of writing or anything else yeah. to support it. Like you've got to have both get fired to be honest. Probably <laughs> get in jail <laughs> for the entire situation. Uh, but I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a flaw. This is uh, one reason that I'm not going to go down this road with our game is like, you know, I thought about letting you lose characters and stuff, but um, it's, you know, if I was a developer and oh, I am, um, <laughs> 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 I was on that game and, and somebody was saying like, oh, you know, I lost this character. There should be a load of dialogue about this. Hmm. I would be asking, hmm, but how many people are really going to lose that character and then carry on with right. the game? Aren't yeah. they always going to load an old save game or rewind or, or find some way out of it? Um, these, these dark paths of like a major permanent loss that you know has long running ramifications. So few players are, are willing to accept that and carry on with it and interested in what happens there. Yeah. It's not really worth putting yeah. your, your development time into it. Though I'd say like it almost like Wing Commander 3 did this better where you lose characters <laughs> to the Wing Commander <laughs> wow. 3 campaign. And, um, you, there's a, when that happens, you get, um, a funeral scene and they're fired out into space and everyone salutes mm. and there's a little speech and that's all it needs. It doesn't yeah. need to be like personalized to the particular character or anything, just some sort of recognition that there's been a loss. Yeah. It could yeah. even be like, yeah, a scene where that, a scene for that particular character mm. because they do plenty of character specific scenes. Yeah. And then it should track how many students you've lost <laughs> yeah. and that should affect some global thing, right? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, well, the duration blue, of tea time, <laughs> blue, blue lion. Yeah. The duration, it might be increasingly difficult to achieve a perfect tea time <laughs> <laughs> when blue lion house is down to one person. because the rest of them have died. <laughs> It should probably, probably be slightly harder to rank up your professor rank. Once you, <laughs> the fishing your, isn't going to cut it anymore. One of your kids has been murdered by a bandit with an axe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, to be honest, it calls into question the entire, purpose of the school <laughs> <laughs> i don't understand what the school is for i still don't i've spent no. for 10 hours i don't i mean i i accept it because it's a very good game but um yeah. do you like that no one is bothered that a man in an iron mask dressed like death <laughs> keeps materializing the school people talk about it but it's not like a crisis no it. it's just like oh, yeah that's fine <laughs> uh, the thing is so not to go back to farm too much like i think i genuinely because of a few things including as you drew attention to the lack of that um the I don't think the battalion system is as good as the kind of assist system I agree, from Awakening. Yeah, I don't think the the way the relationships play into the game is as good as Awakening either. Mm. Like I genuinely think that if you are interested in a Fire Emblem game, you should play Awakening. Yeah. Like I don't think Three Houses is is 
the way in. Like people are, people are really enjoying it. I think it's got loads to recommend it, but, and I, I find it really entertaining, but I'm actually not sure it's an amazing game. Yeah. Like, what platform was Awakening on? Oh, sorry, uh, um, 3DS. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, Awakening is a much better looking game. I actually <laughs> find Three Houses to be very ugly in terms of the I color. Saw, I thought that from the first trailer when yeah. it was revealed. I thought mm. this was real drab. Yeah, it's real, real drab. And that's not what Fire Emblem has tended to be mm. like before. Like, um, Awakening is beautiful. It's really colorful. And, uh, they do a lot with their limited polygons to, mm. you know, really nail the fancy of the characters and on dragons and pegasus and things like that. The animations are great. Um, whereas this one, I think they've sacrificed a lot to do the battalion stuff and have dozens of people on the screen. But the, uh, the I have problems with the overall art direction. It's incredibly murky, um, which is yeah, a real Particularly thing. the environments. Yeah, the environments. The characters are quite kind of vibrant and well-drawn. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So, for example, uh, you know, War Hogwarts is like a pretty ugly place when yeah. you're actually wandering around it's it. It's also f- fucking massive. It's massive, In that yeah. MMO place, MMO way, like where mm. doors are 18 times too big. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, so, I mean, I appreciate, like, I'm having a lot of fun with it, but partly because it has that sort of just um, box-ticking sort of satisfaction of managing these relationships and things. Yeah. I don't think it's as good a game as Awakening. No, definitely not. I've really enjoyed it as playing it in portable mode actually while yeah. there's some telly on so like i've had series three the expanse on and sort of like been doing uh, bits of fire in between in boring scenes where mm-hmm. you know that that's a good way to play it yeah totally hmm. should we do some questions yes before we do though i wanted to say something i forgot to say earlier <laughs> i just realized this <laughs> and another you... thing about tea time <laughs> <laughs> no not about tea time but booze time because you were just pouring some bourbon and that reminded me of when i visited the uh, Jack Daniels Distillery in Lynchburg many years ago. Oh, yeah. But so over the weekend, I went to the, the the Guinness Storehouse experience in Dublin. And I've previously been to the uh, Coca-Cola Museum in Atlanta. <laughs> and I and I would I just want to make this point. I think I'd be interested to know if anyone else has experience. The only things you can do on Earth that are as similar as you can get to a Bioware-style immersive sim are beverage-specific museums. Because they have the <laughs> same con- the same combination of... Um, extremely strong theme, slightly weird ideology, because the ideal- ideology is usually most human emotions emerge from this drink. Um, <laughs> and also exactly the same environmental storytelling methods, which <laughs> they really it's do. Scored in blood on the wall. Guinness yeah. was made in it. <laughs> joking, but basically, like you walk into a room in the Guinness experience, which is a weird thing. Like the good, the good experiences like this, the good brewery tours and things tend to show you how the thing is made. Yeah. The bad ones, like I would argue the Guinness one and, and the Coke one, which is its own fucking hellscape, um, are more about like your, and it, it's a brand experience. So it's like a, a beautiful demonstration, but without any kind of real sense of what's actually going on. Mm. There's literally a room in the Guinness experience, which is extraordinary because you walk in and there are, um, like 20, um, identical and synced sort of portrait orientation monitors dotted around the room. And each of them, uh, is a life-size person talking directly to you about some aspect of the life of Arthur Guinness, the, the founder of the Guinness dynasty. And the first one is just, and they're all, it's this bizarre, it's basically like an audio diary in real life. Like it's a person talk, the first one is like a, 
undateable, not undateable in that way. I mean, like you couldn't <laughs> timeless, like you wouldn't be able to place it in time. Mm. Like, um, Irish bartender telling you this story. And then the next one is an Irish doctor. And then the next one apparently is, is, is some kind of like coachman or executioner kind of shouting at you from, from time. And all of them speak extremely slowly and only with enough of an Irish accent that you recognize it as an Irish accent, but not enough to alienate anyone who might be watching this. So it's like rendered accessible in this bizarre kind of out of, out of world way and you stop and you just listen to the story for a bit and then you continue through this tour into how barley is roasted and the whole thing is is functionally exactly the same energy as picking up an audio diary and having to stop at a level load point to listen <laughs> to it in case there's a splicer around the corner it's really weird i just wanted to talk about that because it's i think there's a lot of level design going into these places that could be going into deus ex <laughs> <laughs> basically uh, um, my, uh, main, this is a bit of a tangent, but like, my primary Guinness memory is, um, <laughs> former production editor and, uh, piece of game of superhero Tony Ellis. Uh, we were in a, a place called The Porter, which is long since. Oh, I missed The Porter. Shut, yeah, same. Um, and, uh, I went and got a round of drinks, just not knowing what to get him, just got him a Guinness. And he drank it, and that was fine. Uh, but, days later, like, when we were back in the pub, um, I might have bleeped this out, but <laughs> he said, you got me a Guinness, you <laughs> like that. I was that like, like Tony. <laughs> uh, and that's I love I love that man. <laughs> He's one of my favourite people. Did he offer any reasoning? <laughs> I it was just a, a sort of deep moral offence, and uh, I immediately felt I knew I'd done wrong. I just immediately knew I was like, yeah, shit, I should have got you a real bit. Three <laughs> percent. I drank quite a lot of Guinness this weekend when I was in Ireland, um, um, and it was good. Had a nice time. Yeah. I had a very nice time. Um, anyway, I just wanted to make that point because I do, I do feel like, uh, the Coca-Cola Museum is its own whole thing. They make you watch a video before you go in about how almost all good human emotions stem from Coca-Cola. kids. <laughs> <laughs> we, it ends in a tasting room where they have every single Coke beverage from around the planet. And I managed to find the only tap in that room that would do normal water. And Pip, <laughs> Pip was so happy she cried. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know why I have so many kind of beverage museum horror stories, but yeah, they do like weird nice. artisanal cokes now, right? There's like, like sort of like of special brews, yeah. Where it's like of weird flavors. Yeah, yeah. They have a whole museum dedicated to that one advert with the horses in it. By the way, at the Guinness thing, do they? Yeah, they of course do. They do. Yeah. Fucking. Hell. There's a, a super clumsy Coke product placement in the New Stranger Things season as well. Like, mm. there's a whole. It's really like overly long segment on how new coke is. would you believe it you are the second person to tell me about that today <laughs> uh, it's bad <laughs> is it as bad as the kevin spacey uh house of cards playstation vita oh is it uh, oh yeah he plays monument valley in that series yeah he does yeah the monument valley there's there actually like a whole bits where he just picks up a feature he's like i really enjoy this console and i really enjoy the, the ex- entertainment experience so i get out of it this ruthless fucking murderous yeah. <laughs> it's perfect for a murderous presidential candidate yeah. on the fly <laughs> It's I've got a lot of people to associate. I'm a murder president but, on the go. But honestly, I need my fix. I can absolutely I can fire emblem on this. <laughs> I can believe that that endorsement carries exactly the same amount of value as endorsement from like a properly morally good character. Like audiences oh, sure, sure. do not you distinguish. Like Kevin Spacey or the character? <laughs> well, yeah, either way. Yeah. Uh, audiences just fucking root for whoever you put on screen the most. Like whoever's, oh, they have a lot of screen time. I'm fucking on their side. Great. Yeah, this <laughs> He's is a good the guy. problem with... Um, um, Frank in uh brilliant Paul Abbott series that then went bad. But, um oh, I can't remember the name of it. That's mm. good podcasting, isn't it? Um mm. 
Gonna sing until okay. I'm not gonna remember. I don't remember. We can just cut that. That's fine. Shameless. Was Paul Abbott shameless? Shameless. What was the point? Shameless. Oh, just um, Frank is the the main uh character in that, and he's like a total shit. Like the idea of that character is not that he's any sort of aspirational fantasy at all. Like he's a disaster zone that, and the real heroes of the show are the kids that pick up his slack. Um, in his absence and his alcoholism, uh, and yet actually, as the show evolved, when Abbott left, uh, Frank became like a folk hero, whereas hmm. and therefore undermined the entire point of the show and what it was yeah. trying to say about the the family dynamics. Yeah. And Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad's yep, perfect Breaking example Bad. of this. I was talking yep. to your friend today about the very specific aesthetic, which is basically the HMV bargain bin T-shirts posters kind of thing, which is mostly like why is it well. It changes era by era, but it's always exactly the same vibe. Like it evolved from like why so serious t-shirts through to like Heisenberg mm. kind of logo tees. Right, yeah. I think it's recently passed through the tie dye suicide squad t-shirt thing. Oh. It's got a weird relationship with the DC universe, I think. <laughs> and now I don't know what it's on now, but like there's a so- sort of like edgy anti-hero <coughs> bad t-shirt kind of vibe. Yeah. I like seeing people with Heisenberg t-shirts and like, Oh, I'm a point misser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did not understand them. Yeah. <laughs> A piece of culture I watched. <laughs> Sometime the drug man cool, though. Nice hat. <laughs> um, should we do some questions before yeah. I move on? The first question comes from Philippa War, who writes, Hello, I have a question for Chris. <laughs> Can you ask him what happened to the magnums, which he said were in the freezer and now seem to be all gone? Love the podcast, Pip. <laughs> um, I ate them. And I, I have already actually pre-apologized to Pip for this because I saw that we had this question and went downstairs and, and, and said sorry. I ate them. It's room for how, how many did yeah, you eat? Yeah, I was going to waste some time. I ate all four, <laughs> but Ooh. in over the course of four days. Okay. I don't think that's unreasonable. It was the heat wave as well. It was during a heat wave. Mm. Uh, that's at I, the upper end of reasonable. I bought the magnums <laughs> and I ate one magnum a day for four days. And if, if I feel like if Pip had wanted a magnum in that period, there would have been a magnum. You know, she's entered the fifth of the day, right? Like, yeah. snooze, you lose. You do. So it goes. Yeah, you, yeah. There's other ice cream in the freezer. Um, next question comes from, uh, Thomas, who writes, uh, dear hemagglutinate handlebar, uh, after having played some of the Final Fantasy remakes on Steam, I've been kind of intrigued by the steps they've added to make them playable by adding speed up functions and straight up god modes, etc. My question is, what do you add to present day games to make them more playable? I personally think the gunpoint save system would improve a lot of games. <laughs> Cheers. Thomas. Well, of course, the obvious answer here is perfect tea time. <laughs> of course. I mean, yeah. we talked about applying it to all squad management games, but really all games, I think, to be honest. I would say um, RPG party automation mm. with the degree of control that you have in Final Fantasy XII where you don't have to micro every single thing that your parties are doing in a CRPG like Pillars of Eternity. They just get on with it and... Pillars has that system, doesn't it? it? Yeah, to an ex- it does actually, yeah. uh, to an extent, but you want them to execute it intelligently to the extent that you could just sort of not do it and do it. Yeah. Um, it's amazing how many systems boil down to, can I just not do this? Can I just like <laughs> sort of watch my, like, what I've enjoyed about like auto battle is recently is just watching a little party I've made just go off and yeah. make their own bad decisions <laughs> in a given <laughs> like, encounter. That's on you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's like when I see in Dota Underlords, Conker throws his giant kind of water ghost ship 
at a lone individual in the corner <laughs> when it's a massive splash damage attack that would have been much better deployed on the other side of the arena um like that's part of the fun for me of uh, you should try regular dota where strangers <laughs> will do this all the time and you won't know why and you'll feel compelled to yell at them yeah <laughs> I, I i enjoy that and I, I enjoy the lack of yelling as well that's also good i would love it if if when you play deus ex one and you go through a level transition and it says the word saving on the screen before it says the word loading. I wish it was actually saving because it's not. <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't ever, like Desex never autosaves ever. You can play the entire game and if you died one minute before the end, you would lose a hundred percent of your progress. It never autosaves, but it says on screen that it is, yeah, that's bad news. <laughs> which is the ultimate big move. I can't believe I'm a fan of that game. Can you, <laughs> you heard it here. You can you imagine the disc- if the disclaimer at the start of the game was like, when you see this icon on screen, Please feel free to turn Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. <laughs> your your heart is fine. You can just <laughs> yank the power cord out. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. I think speed up things are a great idea. I think... I'm trying to think what, what would benefit lots of modern games specifically. I think... This is the thing. I was going to say xp boosts basically just sort of mm. skipping to the next being able to skip to the next unlock or shorten those distances but them things get sold yeah if you want that you can mm. pay for it yep i bought that for odyssey that's, mm-hmm. that's yeah, what made it to me yeah. and you didn't right Chris? i didn't know so mm. what level are you in odyssey Do 50 you something 60 okay, something to me I re- we should compare playtime at some point i don't know what mine is but yeah i haven't played in ages but it'd be interesting yeah, to know if it's if it's drastically different because it, it just feels normal to me like nothing it doesn't feel like it's a super fast leveling curve or anything it just yeah. feels like it yeah it happens at a normal rate like the correct leveling curve yeah. it'd be amazing if, if i also uh, i also felt like it was fine and if our playtime is about the same <laughs> then that's a scam <laughs> yeah <laughs> <for sure. laughs> that's interesting yeah yeah interesting we can check that before we after the pod uh Next question comes from uh, Colthor, who writes, Dear Rate My Crocgar, um, every few weeks a developer issues a press release explaining how it's about to fail to make its community pleasant, and recently the ADL published a survey showing that 74% of online gamers have been harassed, so why not just not have in-game communication? Grimlock, spare you, Colthor. I think obviously it depends on the kind of game you're making and, mm-hmm. and mm. you know, uh, games that have it uh have their reasons but i i will say i love games that have limited communication like journey and mm, um yeah there's a, I, i'm sure i've talked about this podcast like many years ago but there's a game called way uh by uh chris bell is the lead designer mm. and it's a, a split screen co-op platformer where you're both playing on the same screen um but you can only communicate by moving your character's arms and one of you you're you it's split screen so you can see what the other person's world and what they're dealing with and everything, but you're not looking at the same screen in real life that you're playing online or, or, or LAN or whatever. And if you're like the red player, you can see red platforms and the blue player can't. And so sometimes there'll be like a red platform that's like mashing down onto the floor every three seconds and you have to tell them when to go, but you can only do it through movements of your arms. Um, and so it's, it's great because you are. A, it strips out all the possible negative communication. Mm. There's nothing you can do with your arms that's really offensive. <laughs> like, mm. you could try, if you know semaphore really well, and so do they, <laughs> maybe you could be like, you are a. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know semaphore, so I'm safe. I don't think that's in semaphore. I wonder if that is. Yeah, <laughs> you don't need to very... tell that to a plane. You know what I mean? There's no. In- <laughs> 
coming into land. Uh, mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Control tower, we have a problem. Next or, or you have a problem. Like, <laughs> <laughs> can't you like just spell any letter with semaphore or something? I, don't I think know. you can, I, yeah. I, like I say, I don't know semaphore. This is why I'm immune to this tactic. <laughs> Which I understand is rampant in the way community. Uh... <laughs> But it's great because you, you're honestly trying to communicate with them. You're trying to, to give them the information and it's time sensitive. And so like the, the lag in you figuring out what you want to say and how you want to say it. And then the lag in them understanding it and them acting on it is significant. And if they die, you just feel so bad. Like even when you kind of feel like you did your best to communicate as fast as possible, there's always like some aspect of like, Oh fuck, I could have done that faster. Um, and yeah, limiting communication really lends itself. I think that. If you had to type that stuff, I don't know, you'd always be pissed off at the system somehow. You'd always be like, uh, like they didn't understand or I did what I, I could or whatever. Uh, and because it abstracts it into this, this gestural thing, I don't know, somehow it, it made me feel like I, it was always my fault, which is good. I think <laughs> I love everything. I think, right. yeah, I mean, obviously the, the problems with open chat and, and free text chat and stuff is extremely well documented. Kind of goes without saying. I think. And obviously removing it solves that problem. But I do think, you know, what you're gesturing at, Tom, <laughs> if I may, is that, um, is, is that, um, is that, like, there's quite a lot of design space in limiting communication between players and asking to communicate. Communication is a fun challenge. And there's, mm. like, a lot of game design there that, you know, can both solve problems with abuse, but also just create opportunities for things to be fun or silly or interesting. But it's interesting, I, in your perspective, as a, a Dota 2 player, mm. Chris, particularly, because uh, do you... Did you ever go into pub games or did you? Just, Lots, yeah. I played a shitload. So, how did that work out in terms of like? Um, I got really thick skin for a long time, and then <laughs> yeah. I remember going into other games where people weren't like that and being like, oh, like b- taken aback. Mm. Like I remember, you know, the the, the perfect example of that is going from because I mean, my so like my, my yeah, Destiny would be the yeah. example. My most intense Dota two years are definitely behind me, but mm. they they did overlap with Destiny in a big way, and. Destiny, even though it was voice chat with strangers doing kind of tricky co-op things where everyone's dependent on each other, which, like, I would always put the source of a lot of that grief down to players being made to be dependent on one another. Mm. You know, in Dota, you can't win by yourself. People think they can, but they just can't. Yeah. And a Destiny raid is similar. It's not, you're not against other players, but, you know, similarly, if one person fucks up, it can often fuck up the boss fight for the, everybody else. Yeah. And people were so lovely versus Dota where they were such assholes <laughs> all of the time, unrelentingly. And, like, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I got a lot of mileage in the column, in the Dota column I used to write out of that phenomenon. Like, yeah. it was almost like weather. Like, I loved the game enough that I would just accept it, mm. that this was the price of doing business. It's like, if I want to play this game I love, I have to accept the fact that almost everyone who plays it who's a stranger is the most abusive voice you've heard on the internet, which is a strange thing to accept, but yeah. you just do. Hmm. But I totally understand why it's off-putting, completely off-putting to people. You just sort of learn to weather it, I guess. Yeah, I've I've never, I'm terrible at doing that. So for me, if I get like an interaction with a stranger over comms, it's either extremely positive or extremely negative. Hmm. There's a kind of middle ground. Uh, So for Destiny stuff, um, we had some wonderful people just chirp at us Hmm. through raids and through very complicated encounters. They're really patient, really nice and sort of like, jovial and just chilled and like that was that's the best i think it's just like people are a bit more mature like a bit older i think that's the destiny audience really yeah is that like can you 
do you think that derives from the game design? Is it because, because it, like Dota, it's just a competition. You're just trying to, this match, you're just trying to win. And it's, that's all that matters. And Destiny feels like a, it's a longer arc, right? You're kind of like, it's cool. You, you might, yeah. Yeah, even maybe, if you don't yeah. achieve what you wanted to achieve in this session, maybe you still level up to some extent or you get something you wanted. It, it's weird with Destiny because like there are definitely people who are very, not competitive. That's almost the wrong way. They want to do thing, things as, as efficiently as possible. And they want to do a raid run in the minimum um, amount of time. Yeah. Just to, and they want everyone to have the right equipment and everyone to have the right, you know, to know the encounters and just so they can grind the loot. But there's actually uh, a subsurface like below that. There's a genuine, you know, helpful community in Destiny <laughs> that is, you know, very keen to help out new players who are quite evangelical about the game, who want people to kind of come mm. in and make the game cool. Um, and that's, that's a real nice positive force in Destiny. And I've not really experienced that. I think you get that in WoW. Um, I think you get that in some other kind of MMOs, but uh, like, it's, I, I don't experience that very often. There's actually, there's a little, uh, uh, clan or group of, um, elderly journey players. Who just played? So Journey is a game where uh, it's on PC now, so I can talk about it. Yeah. Um, it's we talked a, a lot about Fire Emblem, Tom. That, <laughs> that Rubicon's been crossed. <laughs> uh, it's a game that you're traveling across a desert. It's non-violent, and you're solving puzzles and stuff. Uh, and at some point, there'll be another traveler like you that who appears and almost unbeknownst to you it's being controlled by another player like nothing in the game yeah, tells right. you that is, is is happening it's only at the very end of the game it tells you oh you were playing with p- player x and player y and player z um and it's wordless there's no way to talk to them there's no voice comms uh you can all you can do is sort of emit like a pulse kind of thing um <laughs> but there's a bunch of people who play journey who've already know the game inside out who just sort of do it to kind of sherpa other players and just like lead them through it and and show them how to do things in the very limited way that they can communicate at all hmm. um uh and apparently they're sort of like 60 to 70 year old players which is really cute so nice. that is awesome it's talking yeah. about the like the i remember i think one thing was a lot of the time I think it's some, it's balance of game communities and cultures and things. But a lot of the time, one of the reasons that the Dota abuse was not easy to ignore, but easy to kind of sideline is it was often super simple and super vicious. You know, it would just be in, in whatever language or you were being screamed at, it would just be like, you fucking sound, you know, like really kind of aggressively. Yeah. And it's a couple of clicks to be in the menu and muting them straight away. And you yeah. just get used to it. Um, the only, I remember really vividly, like literally the only time in thousands of hours of that game that I was actually set off by someone. And I, I think generally speaking, I'm a person who's quite hard to make angry. And it was because it was someone who was like, it was funny. They were, they were talking down to one of the friends that I was playing with really patronizingly. They were also British. They were also, you know, they sounded about the same age as me. Like, it was funny. They were close enough to me. Interesting. That, yeah. like, mm. rather than the sort of, like, like what I would describe as, like... And obviously, you play people of all nationalities, but there's, like, a common sort of, like, you know, howling internet rage kind of status. This person was just, I thought, just being a dickhead. Yeah. And so I started to push back. Like, it set off whatever part of me wanted to, like, argue the point and dig in. And and make an and make a fight out of it, not mute them because I actually kind of wanted the fight. Yeah, right. And so it brought out the slightly hostile part of myself, mm. and um, that actually ended up, you know, upsetting a friend that I was playing with, and I ended up really regretting it because oh, I was right. like, I, you know, because I ended up, you know, and a few other friends joined in. It became an it became an argument. You know what I mean? And mm. and that 
was really i really regret it but but it, i i kind of now recognize that like what drew it out of me was the sort of the similarity not the difference like that abuse was almost easier to ignore when it was just this person is just screaming at yeah, me right. and calling me every name under the sun i'll just ignore it whereas someone being and i think it was the fact that they were also being mean to a friend and you know it was like it was it was sort of it was like i could i could it was sort of close enough to my own experience that it was like you are falling short of the standard that i hold myself to so i'm gonna like weigh in now it was it was a really weird Hmm. kind of set of like i guess sort of impulses and prejudices of my own that made me unable to kind of switch that off and maybe engage and get angry which i don't tend to do really interesting like do do you mind if i ask like why it upset your friend it was just they were it was it was the old sort of backseat dota thing Hmm. um which is the the principle of sort of very slowly and patronizing and explaining why someone else is bad there's lots of different forms of dota abuse like Mm. sometimes it's you fucking suck like you fucking suck is way easier to just disconnect from it's when someone is like well what you need to be doing is this and what you don't understand is this and this battle build is bad because of this Mm. and you're like they're wrong and when they're wrong (laughs) when they're wrong that is like that is it's it's, the bell end curve it is it's but you can't like I think almost the test of your ability to withstand internet arguments and emerge from the internet with your soul intact is your ability to see someone else be wrong and just let it go. Yeah. yeah. Rather than go like, oh, you're, you're, you're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> like wherever I buried my ire, it's rising. Like, you know what I mean? And I, now I'm, now I'm getting involved and this sure, is, yeah. you can use this as a, as a strategy. If you, if you need to know some information that people are usually unwilling to sort of spend their effort and time imparting, just state the wrong version of it. <laughs> if you're like, which, <laughs> that, that, which, <laughs> which code editor should I use? Just like come out and say, I should use Microsoft Word for code editing. And millions of people will jump in with like, no, it should be Visual Studio Express. <laughs> 19, like, How to get 19. free consultancy on any subject. <laughs> just say the wrong thing. Be wrong, be wrong on Twitter. Twitter. the men right. of the internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's excellent advice. Yeah, that's actually really good advice. Holy shit. That's maybe how we make this all worth it. <laughs> the problem is though that the things you're going to get told are also going to be wrong yeah it, you what you need is as a a imagine if you will a discipline where the people who know the most and are really smart about it are also kind of assholes i present to you programming <laughs> <laughs> to be fair there is a lot of academia that could be folded <laughs> yeah, absolutely. as well. It's almost like knowing a lot about a subject can also render you somewhat of an asshole about it. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's also like there's, there's, uh, programming is probably like, there's just a disconnect between talent and personality. Like the, the being <laughs> interesting, being Damn. a good, <laughs> a being a good person doesn't help you with programming, which doesn't mean everyone who's good at programming is a bad person. It just means there's no reason to relevant. believe. Yeah. yeah. Being super smart and incredible at programming doesn't, you can't jump from that to like, oh, they must be a decent person. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> they might be, but they might not be. I mean, that, how many like disciplines? It? Where is that true though? It's not like well, this person is the yeah. best cellist in the world. Uh, as well as I mean, saying, it's a logical fallacy for all professions. Yeah. Surely, but, yeah, it is. It, like, it's never necessarily true. I would maybe like, I don't know. Is it maybe true that to be like a great author, you have to have some level of empathy with humans and understand how people think and stuff, which is not I mean, true. Apparently, no, no, apparently, apparently not. Given <laughs> but apparently not. The, That's yeah. the thing. Like, yeah. I think, but I think it's interesting. Like, you'd argue that well, game design would be a perfect example of this because it's so much about how people react to things. It's about um, yeah, empathy. It's, it's about right. understanding other people's behavior. It doesn't mean that you can't, you know, uh, be um, aggressive or 
you know, obnoxious with the game design decisions. Mm. That, you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. perfectly possible. You know, I think it's more that the, the practicing of that craft interacts with interpersonal skills in a particular way. It doesn't mean that those interactions yeah. have to be pleasant. Right. I think like maybe one of the negative relationships that exists in the game industry is that, uh, people who are brilliant programmers, uh, often end up getting a lot of power. There are a lot of people in really high positions at major game companies who got there because mm. they founded the company and they made the games. They made them happen. They mm. had that. It, it takes an extraordinary amount of skill, like skills I will never have in my life to, to sort of like create some of the things these people created, but they have no people skills. Yeah. And now they're in charge of a company and they're running the company and they don't know anything about managing people and they're fucking it up and it's hurting people and yeah. that's a really common pattern in the game. I think that's yeah, really, really true. Like, uh, and I wouldn't even put it down to just like interpersonal stuff. So for example, I was watching Anthem and you see a lot of people being promoted from uh, design positions up into executive positions. That's a completely different level skill. Like project management is a different type of skill to programming. And the, uh, this, this just like a persistent problem with all employment, <laughs> not just yeah. the games industry, but generally the idea that, you know, in order to progress, you have to end up in a, this, a similar analytical managerial position when actually your skills are completely different when you start <laughs> yeah. and become important to that, you know? Yeah. Uh, so the idea of your program is be- becoming it's not just programmers, like, no, it's, 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 it's writers, it's anyone, it's yeah. anyone who doesn't have that. I think, I think also there's a genuine, there's a push towards minimal risk sort of decision making generally. And like, right. obviously, you know, if you were to make the kind of Sudish point there, it'd be that programming is all about, de- you know, determining a completely reliable outcome to a series of things you've decided, basically. Yeah. Like, mm. if you create a program that doesn't always do exactly what you expect yes, it to do, then you've done a bad program. <laughs> yeah, though. right. Um, and so, and this it, this philosophy applies up and down the games industry in quite damaging ways. Like, I think the current addiction to uh, sort of uh, data-driven game design that affects quite a lot of big multiplayer companies mm-hmm. um, is going to run its course because it doesn't account for every new success. You know, the 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 desire to have perfect information on what audiences want before making a decision, which is pretty common among the larger more famous kind of companies in this regard has been has been paralyzing for them and meanwhile the new hottest thing whatever it is whether it's auto battlers or battle royale has always emerged from this kind of messy like un un un, disordered completely dysfunctional almost sort of (laughs) design soup of like the modding communities or just random stuff colliding and the system like it's yeah, it's fascinating to me how incapable of generating those sorts of ideas the most expensive idea generation mechanisms in the industry are. Yeah. Like, literally, the most money is spent on delivering the little, the smallest results within that particular environment, which is very kind of, um, I would not say programmer led, but programmatically led sort of approaches to game design where it's about. I, like, I think that's an executive mindset. It's not so yeah. like a, a, a programmer's mindset. I think that is also. There's, there's just before you invest and risk, you need proof of, yeah, uh, success before you do that. But that, otherwise, you're being irresponsible, right? Right. But that in turn affects the sorts of people who are put in positions of power. Yeah. So people who are going to be put in positions of, you know, foremost creative or design decision making power will be people whose belief when it comes to design aligns with those of maybe, uh, maybe a risk averse management layer or something like that. Mm. And when that's the case, 
you're going to get people who believe that data is going to lead everything that they're going to do and that's always going to deliver the next great game mm. and it literally never has no it literally never has in the history of the medium <laughs> well, and so at some point that point data point probably needs to be considered yeah it refines long... what's already there but it never, yes ever yes dips. it's a mechanism for it is a mechanism for refining well that's the problem it's a mechanism for refining what is already there that has no natural end point yeah you can never stop refining like you can always have more data you can always gather more data you can always test more you can always do more qa mm. um the the data can never tell you when to stop gathering data and so that is ultimately paralyzing and leads to endless iteration cycles and nothing coming out yeah it's fascinating there's a bunch of companies that applies to absolutely yeah <laughs> but also um the way they get around this is uh, by bandwagoning essentially uh, and we've seen this with auto battlers mm-hmm. it's just literally you know massive publishers like yeah they wait for so one of the reasons that i you know report on pc gaming as opposed to any other is because this is where the new genres come from yeah like this is the soup where the new games the games <laughs> primordial the future, soup the, primor- <laughs> the pc gaming is the primordial soup of uh you know <laughs> yeah new genres and like when something you know gets starts to get numbers then you get stuff like epic suddenly jumping on it you get yeah. you know um, riot suddenly jumping on auto battlers valve are like oh god we kind of you know we've got to get in on, we've got to get this mobile version out ASAP, even though it's yeah. like relatively sloppy for what they tend to put yeah. out, um, and that is just bandwagoning is a big, not a problem, but like it's uh, it's how they work. It's, <laughs> it's so cool that this is the case to me. Like right. corporations can do; they have so much power and they have so many, so much ability to just muscle people, other people out and sure. to to dominate. And you know they're still doing that to some extent, but it's it's so. I love that the game design is this elusive magic that they just can't, no matter how much money they have, no matter how much talent they can hire. I mean, Valve hire everybody they like. They're just like, oh, yeah. I like you. We're hiring. Like, we'll at least offer you a job. Maybe you won't take it, but like, if you want a job, you can have it. Hmm. And even with that, even having hired all the other people who had the last great idea, they're still not coming up with the next That's great idea. Right. It That's still right. happens from this, from the primordial soup, from this yeah. big sea of, of a million different minds all coming up with crazy wild ideas and only one of them has to hit on the right thing. Uh, and it's, I, I'm glad that corporations can't do that. I'm glad that mega, you know, just having a lot of money and having a lot of power doesn't get you that no. magic. I mean, they can still actually be the ones who profit from it because they can, I mean, they can just move faster than the other ones. That's and the thing. Yeah. Sometimes you can brute force things at marketing. That's the other thing. Yeah, like, that's true. You know, with a big enough marketing spend, you sometimes you can make fetch happen. Absolutely. Um, but a lot of the time it doesn't. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how we got onto this from <laughs> switching off in-game chat. <laughs> that, was the, that was a good discussion. Though. Yeah, it was good, yeah. Uh, next question comes from Andy who writes, Dear Toe and Ho, that's how you pronounce Toho. Keep pronouncing, <laughs> keep podding, Andy. Thank you. I, I'm <laughs> actually grateful again. for this because even though I have not played that game, I still just kind of want to know. I just Toho. Yeah. Toho. 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 Um, next, Aiden writes, "Hi. Uh, what if guard chatter in games was procedurally replaced with banter podcasts with the appropriate <laughs> number of guests? Picture this." You're wandering around a time, town in Skyrim, and one of the guards is Sean Elliott telling a story of his youth to Jeff Green. <laughs> you sneak off around the corner, and Pip is trying to explain the plot of Star Wars to Chris. 
Then Mark Maron and Obama wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> it would beat an arrow in the knee, is what I'm saying. Thanks, Aiden. I think this is actually might be brilliant. It's yep, a sensational that's idea. Really good. Sensational <laughs> idea. I think the only the only thing is it requires game developers to accept that sort of no particular setting for this. Thanks. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. It's like back in the old retro FPS world. Yeah, Quake yeah. can do yeah, this. No problem. Yeah, Quake could pull this off. Quake yeah, and, yeah. and <laughs> was it Dusk? Dusk would yeah. do it very well, yeah. I tell you what, if you're making a Quake-style game <laughs> and you want free guard chatter... <laughs> oh, we'll do that for Email free. us. Like, yep, seriously, we'll you can free. have this for Absolutely. free. <laughs> you know? Oh, and I'd love so, to see some I mean, box. So if they could have our raw files, that would really work, because what you really need is, like, the audio sources need to be different for the different people. Yeah, you can have the raw audio files from our... <laughs> we've so. got it. We've got yeah, the tech. Exactly. We've got the tech. Or we could just talk bollocks for like <laughs> half an hour. They maybe maybe flip this. I think this might be like you know we had an email about you know can we advertise you on your podcast and stuff. We always say no because Patreon is sufficient. But like, hmm. um, you know it's obviously a struggle how you make mo- money as podcasters. And obviously hiring. I mean I, I'm saying this and doing myself out of work, but hiring writers and stuff that seems time consuming. And stressful. <laughs> Why Don't do that for God's sake? If you if you are not really fussed about world building. Why not just hire some, some, some dudes in a room who spill whiskey on themselves while trying to make a point? Um, to, to just talk bollocks. Because I mean, all you really need the player to know is that guards are here, right? That's, that's why they're talking. Right. They keep talking about fucking anything. And I'm, I'm a huge advocate of like naturalistic voice acting. Like mm. I really, I just desperately want games to move further in that direction. Mm. I love uh, the voice acting in System Shock 2, which I gather was at least partly the dev team. It was like programmers yeah. and, and designers and stuff just, just reading scripts. And it, at no point did it ever strike me as unprofessional or, or anything. Yeah, like, just cause, at, you know, at worst, it sounds like just somebody sending a business email to their friend or whatever. Um, and I was, I recently was watching a video of the Blair Witch game, which I knew nothing about. And it, I think it was an IGN video and I just kind of skipped in the middle of it. And I didn't know for a minute whether what I was hearing was the game dialogue or IGN people talking about the game they're playing. <laughs> and it was, it was IGN people talking in a very naturalistic way about yeah. the same way they were playing a game. But because it's Blair Witch and I know like that movie was very naturalistic for a moment, I thought, Oh, this is the style of the game. They just like the people in this game talking about what's going on are talking about it the way you would on a podcast. And it was amazing for a minute. I was like, right. Oh my God, I want to buy this game. I want to play this. This is incredible. But then, and I realized, Oh no, this is just IGN people. Yeah. <laughs> like the game still has just movie dialogue and it's, it's not naturalistic, but, but it's so powerful. Like just having people talk. Yeah. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. But Blair Witch was like entire, almost entirely improvised by the actors. Like right. it was actually done on the fly and they, film way more than they actually put in the film and those techniques should work in video games that i'm not aware of them being applied very yeah often. i have never i'm not aware of improv being applied to video games that's no. super interesting yeah hmm. and why not like i mean well because i think because the reason improv works is because it has very low technical requirements like stage improv right yeah like stage improv is assumed to come with mime right like that is part of the discipline is you learn how to mime stuff in a way that people understand what you're getting at. <laughs> yeah. And that is essentially a way of getting around the fact that you can't plan to have particular props. Prop creation is a big part of game development. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Th- those things do fight each other, but, but yeah. No, I saw a really interesting talk and apologies for creating an extra show note at this point. But, that's um, all right. That's quite deep in the, uh, in the thing, but yeah. Uh, a talk about the voice direction for Tacoma. Um, which was, I, th- I think the guy talking is, uh, runs like an external company for doing this. So he's a voice director and he's talking about, you know, uh, how they recorded the dialogue. And, 
it has they did um they call it focap so it's not mocap it's they had the actors walk around and do the things that they're doing, but they didn't capture their performance in a mm. mocap studio. They hand animated the, the, right, the models you see, but the voice you're hearing is right. from someone who was doing that thing at that time. Mm. So whether it's decorating a cake or jumping, there's one scene where like um, somebody jumps onto their partner and their partner catches them and you can hear them being kind of winded by it. <laughs> and they, you know, the, the actors actually did this, yeah. but the one of the technical challenges they had is how the hell do you record that? Because if you have like a headset mic, like a mm-hmm. Britney Spears type thing, that's going to get in the way and it's going to brush against stuff and the, the thing's problem. Mm. So they, they first of all they did a lot of research on what kind of mic worked best and they found this one particular mic that worked really well. And then where do you put it? The answer they came up with was they glue it to their forehead. So every actor is wearing a mic on their forehead. That's just pointing away from them, but it's good enough that it catches their own speech. And it never gets in the way of anything. So you, there's never like paper rustling or, or hair brushing past it or anything like that. So they can do all these like big physical things. They can be walking around the space. They can um, do all this stuff. And it just records this perfectly clean uh, audio, which is amazing. Hmm. I think that maybe the Galaxy Brain version of this is I want to play the immersive sim where you come across the guards and the guards are recording a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> There's just a microphone in there. Yeah, they snuck off into, you know, it's not like, it's like, you know, you get the card game, right? The guards are sitting around the table playing cards or whatever, like having a drink. Shall we gather tonight for Creighton Crowbar? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I want you to be able to, this is the thing. All right, yeah. Okay, Arcane Studios. <laughs> I want to be able to systematically disrupt that that in-game podcast like you you kill or tranquilize one of the <laughs> the other host continues yeah. yeah right right so I'll say my god Tom's been murdered ah. Jim aren't you still playing Odyssey yeah Jim Jim <laughs> exactly if you tranquilize all of them Pip appears and solos the podcast for the rest where of are the my game. magnums <laughs> yeah exactly oh I've got whiskey on myself again <laughs> Said the NPC. Um, this is a brilliant idea. I really love this question. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. I, I, I like the idea of um, not necessarily like importing podcasts, but importing like naturalistic conversation that yeah. is relevant to the world into NPC box. I mean, this is the the dream Ubisoft keeps selling us with um, uh, Watch Dogs Three. Yeah. yeah <laughs> what was the what's the the division? Um, mm. Their gameplay videos for that are always just this like perfect team where you, you almost can't tell whether it's voice acting or it's supposed yeah. to be players playing. Right. And it's supposed to be players playing, but they they hire. It's um, extremely well constructed banter mates. Yeah. Yeah. They've stopped doing that now, but it, I mean, because it was fucking. Dumb. It was really embarrassing. It was. But I mean, there's there's an argument to be made like that stuff. It it wasn't realistic enough that you bought it as actual players playing this thing for real. But it was more naturalistic than voice acting that you would have in like a Call of Duty game. And I would rather have this than the voice acting in the Call of Duty game. Yeah. I don't know. I think I understand where I stand with like Call of Duty Army Man is pretending that we're all in the army. Whereas when the game is like sort of knows and is trying to provide me with an experience that's more like real players, it gets, there's sort of an uncanny valley there, I Hmm. think. I think any improvement on the sort of Obsidian and sort of uh, Bethesda RPG crash zoom on a face that goes I'm really out of Nernroot I think you should find some Nernroot you could find Nernroot near rivers <laughs> and uh, like anything that is not like that is good for me like yeah, yeah. The, Witcher 3, I, the Witcher 3 is very good at this like, I don't know I kind of wish all conversation was like that because it would just make life a lot easier that's true <laughs> easy to pass I wish yeah. I had a Magnum Magnum normally in Freezer Magnum <laughs> not in Freezer Magnum now in Sainsbury's <laughs> 
<laughs> you know? Maybe it would be better. <laughs> Maybe it would be better. Quest accepted. Yeah, exactly. Purchase Magnum. <laughs> like I say, we've said this many times on this podcast, the Oblivion persuasion system is superior <laughs> to all other forms of human communication. It's also the stupidest fucking game system. I, I know. Yeah. But I want you to, I want to know how you feel about what I'm about to say before I've said it. Yeah. Do you want to make the, the physical facial expression as well? Yeah. Of, yeah. But also terribly animated. Yeah. A potato fear expression. Uh, <laughs> the fact that I might be about to tell you a joke. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Can you, can you communicate it in semaphore? <laughs> <laughs> Only in four letter words. <laughs> nice. Um, our final question is a quick one. It comes from Lars, who writes, Outer Wilds in-depth spoiler cast when? Hi guys, my question is that subject line, because if there is any game that has come out in the last few years that requires an in-depth spoiler cast, it's that one. Mm. I completely agree. I really want to do this, uh, because honest to God, it's mostly an excuse to say, The Outer Wilds is almost certainly for me the best game released this year, mm. and it might be the best game I've played for a couple of years. It's really, really good. <laughs> yeah. And I, the only thing stopping us from recording a spoiler cast, which we have been meaning to, is the fact that not enough of us have finished it. Yeah. Because yep. it's only me and Tom Francis so far. Yeah. So. But I, Tom Senior, will now finish it. Yeah. If there is a prospect. You're racing course. Alex, basically. If we can all finish oh, really? it a four-person. Oh, that'd yeah. be good. That'd be good. Yeah. I mean, he's away for like two weeks. At he point. is. Yeah. You've got a time. I can You've got time. time. I yeah. can that time. <laughs> um, uh, there's, a, there's an addendum to this podcast, which, uh, there's a question, which I do want to address, um, just in case people have been worried about this because of recent delays and things, which is, bonus question, if you feel like talking about it, podcast dying? Sad face? <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, no. And it's definitely not. No. And, but I wanted to address this because I understand why people might get the impression because we've had to just take a couple more skip weeks than usual yeah, over sure. the last couple of months. Yeah, yeah. And because obviously we've had some availability issues and so on. I can understand why people would think this. And also because it is all the fates of all, que- all podcasts, um, splutter <laughs> out. Very few podcasts go out in a blaze of glory. I don't think it's possible for the medium, really. <laughs> you know what How I mean? would you even do it? No, I don't think so. Um, that's not what's happening here though. No. Um, no, it's, it's simply been availability. Like we've, we've all gone through in, in weird sync, like a kind of series yeah. of quite tumultuous sort of yeah. life, um, business. Um, and obviously there will be, it will be changes to come, but also maybe some good things coming up. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe some people coming back. Who can say? Ooh. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, so, uh, with that in mind, um, with that weird noise I just made in mind, uh, yeah, uh, but I completely understand people worry about this sort of yeah. thing. But the other thing is that obviously, um, uh, and as we segue seamlessly into the outro, um, the great thing about the way Patreon is set up means that we, we only get funded for the episodes we actually do. Mm-hmm. And the great reason this is great is not, only because it's fair to the people who choose to back us. But what it means is that there isn't this pressure on us to have to get an episode out because people have paid for it already, which I would, I would certainly feel mm, like yeah. if we were charging like a monthly rate yeah, or something absolutely. for a certain amount of episodes. Yeah, and that doesn't mean that it makes it easier for us to not do things. But actually sometimes I think lately the healthy decision has been, we're all really busy. People are on holiday. People are taking breaks for once, which doesn't yeah. happen very often. Yeah. Right. Um, Let's just accept that and, and skip a week rather than trying to get an episode out by higher hell or high water, which has certainly been my attitude in the past where mm. like Pip and I have recorded episodes at 6am on a Friday just to make sure that they happen. And I think sometimes it's just healthier to say, we're going to skip a week and you yeah. will get an episode. And, and obviously if you do back us on Patreon, we're massively grateful if you do, yeah. you'll only pay for it if we actually do it. Absolutely. So yeah. yeah. Um, and this applies to all of them as well, including the spinoffs. Like you got to believe like we are, I'm me and Pip are talking about, um, Little Grey Cells, which we appreciate has had an almost a year hiatus at this point. <laughs> um, and that was after a several month hiatus. Um, but 
you know, we're moving house soon. When that's resolved, maybe that'll be a setup we can we can come back to. And similarly, Miniatures Monthly, which has had a break because you, Tom, have been mega busy and yeah. all the rest of it. So I think a lot of it is like quite unavoidable stuff. Yeah, just life, sort of basically. like coalesced in this particular year. And um, like I want to reassure listeners, it's, it's through no lack of passion for the podcast. I still love doing it, and we all love doing it. And mm. yeah, that's gonna it's gonna continue. Like, yeah. it's, we, we still yeah. It's fucking great. Yeah, I love it's great. And I'm very, very, yeah, I love our community on Discord. It's good. Join Discord. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, if you would like to join Discord, you can find a link for that on our show notes. I'm going to do the pod, I'm going to do the outro the, the wrong way around. <gasps> Let's spice things up. Ooh. The Discord, if you would like to find it, is linked to on our website, creatingcrowbar.com. Patreon, if you'd like to know more about it, patreon.com forward slash creatingcrowbar. Mm. If you'd like to send us a question like the ones we were just reading out, but before that last bit, you can find the address for doing that by going to your old oh, fuck. <laughs> by typing it's in. questions at, uh, doing it the backwards doesn't work. I can't do it. No. Um, questions at creatingcrowbar.com. You can find us on Twitter at creatingcrowbar, YouTube forward slash creatingcrowbar. I do appreciate that in the list of things that we've failed to keep doing, I did forget to mention Bloodborne. Fuck knows. <laughs> if we'll ever get oh, back to yeah, that. yeah, shit. Do you remember that thing we used to do, Tom Senior? God, I yeah. only just recalled that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh boy. Um, maybe. Um, <laughs> oh, I really uh, want to finish that though. Me too, but, oh God, my life is so also full life. of things. <laughs> also life. <laughs> life is so full of yeah, things. Yeah, right. Um, what else do we do? What else are the links that I say? I don't think that's all of them. I think I've confused myself by doing them out of order. Individual Twitter. Individual Twitter Individual. handles. I almost never tweet. Mm. <laughs> I really don't. Um, but I do have it. It's at C Thurston. That's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. Uh, I also, I tweet very occasionally, but not very much. Uh, I, Tom Senior, I'm at PCG Ludo, L-U-D-O. I tweet all the fucking time. And I'm <laughs> at Pentadact, P-E-N-T-A-D-E-S-T. I actually have something to shout out, which is, um, if you've heard me on this podcast talk about Concrete Jungle in the past, I finally got around to making a video about it and just showing how it's played and what, how it works. Um, and that's on my YouTube and it's also on my Twitter, um, which is Pentadact. I appreciate this 11th hour show note. Yep. It's good. It's, Tom, it's, has, it's, Tom has a very good, uh, Instagram, uh, like, that feeling when a bird is on your head uh, <laughs> is an you. extremely good post. And I, I, so, I went to Paris, I had to milk all the content that was there. <laughs> you, you 100%ed Paris. <laughs> yep. Good. Thanks, Thanks for listening, everybody. everybody.